Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got a packed Friday show for you. We're going to get into some Ole Miss basketball thoughts off the top. That'll just be me solo as Ole Miss drops a 78-72 decision to Marquette last night in the Charleston Classic. They've got two more games. I think they'll play Elon. I didn't stay up for the end of that West Virginia game. I believe West Virginia won. And then I have no idea who they'll play after that. It'll depend on who's on the other side of the loser's bracket as well. But uh, we'll get into some basketball stuff. I thought there was some good and some bad uh, to last night. I wrote down some notes, and we'll really just kind of go through that real quick. And then we have Chris Leon of Vanderbilt or VUSports.com, the rival site there in Nashville covering Vanderbilt. Uh, If you're rolling your eyes thinking, why in the hell is this guy having on a Vanderbilt guest for this game? What is there to talk about? Uh, Well, one, in terms of on the field, you're right. I wanted to have Chris on for – couple of different reasons just talking big picture stuff with Vanderbilt you know they put they put out new renderings for a stadium that's going to be built which they badly need and the investment to football the rebuild that Clark Lee has ahead a couple some stuff about that just because I found it interesting you'll hear in the podcast they actually released the their big plan to upgrade their all all their facilities in the most Vanderbilt way possible in like a Friday news dump so we got into that what Clark Lee has ahead of him and what is kind of the future for Vanderbilt and football and the landscape of the SEC as they seem to be uh, adverse to spending or making any money off it as everyone else is throwing money at it left and right and making more money as a result. So anyway, I often find the anatomy of something bad as interesting as is as something good. Uh, that's a sports, that's a, as it pertains to sports, please don't like confuse me with Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer or something, but I just meant in terms of when things go bad with the sports program versus things going good so anyway we got that and then we got greg's picks to bring us home at the end and i gotta tell you it was not my finest effort on greg's picks my site that i was looking up for the games kept messing up Uh, i spent the first five minutes saying that there was a uh, good slate of games this week in the sec when then i realized when i put it all together i was like actually the slate is terrible so anyway but we got to greg's picks and we stumbled through that uh and then we will get out of here and get on with your weekend so but before we get to that, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. I would, it, I would offer to you, there is absolutely no better time to get on Skybox right now. They are 53 and 36 in the NFL this year. They just came off a 7-4 in one week in college football in the picks that they gave us. And college basketball is cranking up, which is by far and away their most profitable model. In college basketball, they're up 105 units over the last two seasons. Their max plays are cashing at 65%, and their one-unit plays are at 57%. It is their best model by far. That is Skybox's words, not mine. And you know how good they are at football. Imagine what college basketball is going to do for your bank accounts. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They'll have a picks package to fit your price range. I'd recommend just riding them with – with the year-long pass, but if you're looking for something a little more season or sports-centric, they're going to have it for you right there at skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY. Let them know we sent you. You get 20% off your package. So more free money for you. How about that? Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a RIPPY Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. 
that's a pretty good way to kickstart your weekend. But you need to go find the rest of your favorites at LB's. It is great stuff, all kinds of great sausages, seafood, crab stuff, mushrooms. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Oxford is so lucky to have it. Go see Greg. He wants to make your grilling experience great. I can promise you that. Check him out. All right. So before we get to Chris Lee and then Greg's picks, I wanted to go over some notes that I wrote down while watching the basketball game last night. If you did not watch, Ole Miss lost 78-72 to Marquette in a game that they played really well for about the first, I thought, 18 or first 16 minutes of the game and then a stretch there in the second half. Ole Miss jumped out to a big lead. I think they got up as many as 11 early on in the game, really shot the basketball well from the perimeter uh, early on in the game. But if you were watching the game, you knew that the way they were shooting it from three early on was not sustainable. Ole Miss is not going to be a good three-point shooting team this year. I would contend that they will probably be better than they were last year and maybe better than I thought. I know it's only three games, but they've shot it fairly consistently. Uh, Crowley shot it a lot better from deep than I thought he would. Ty Fagan has as well. And then Brakefield has showed you a little bit. And so is Luis Rodriguez that the, at least he's able to make it. I wanted Rodriguez took six threes last night. He went two of six. You'd love to see that get a little bit more efficient, but the fact that he's taking that amount of volume shows you that I think that's improved. Anyway, you knew that wasn't going to be sustainable. And when Ole Miss stopped, stopped making perimeter jump shots in particular, it seemed like they struggled to find offense. They got a little bit sloppy offensively there for a stretch. Marquette closed the gap to five right before halftime and then really kind of blitzed Ole Miss coming out of the gates in the second half. I don't remember exactly what the run was, coming out of halftime, but Ole Miss was up, let's see, 38, or excuse me, they're up 36-31. Oh, Marquette scored seven straight to take a 38-36 lead out of halftime. No, excuse me, that's not right. Breakfield had a layup coming out. Point being, Marquette took a lead early on, and then it really became a seesaw affair towards the end. And once it got down to the last five, six minutes of the game, I thought the issue that Ole Miss had last year sort of reared its head again. But I think that it needs to be met with some context. It did not seem like Ole Miss knew what they wanted to do and really who they wanted to be in the game's most crucial possessions. When what I mean by that is when it got to 64-62 or 67-64, I think it even got to 67-65, and the game's bogged down and it's a half-court game, and you're going to have to run good offense to get a basket. Ole Miss did not seem to know exactly what they were and who they wanted to play through. It looked like they thought for a second about playing through Nasir Brooks, which we'll get to him in a minute. He, I thought he's been really, really good and potentially a huge bright spot for them uh, early on in this season. But it didn't. It just didn't feel like they had much flow. They didn't know really what kind of action they wanted to run. It was a lot of uh, perimeter. Um, kind of dribble it's not it's probably not as simple high school dribble weed but a lot of perimeter left to right action and Ole Miss struggled seemingly to get downhill a bit Jarkel Joyner was not good in the last five six minutes of this game he really didn't have his best game period but that was probably option number one if you were writing down a list going into the season all right who are who are they going to be able to play through through crunch time and who can they count on to create and make shots when they need it down the stretch of games I would have Probably guessed Jarkel Joyner won. Mm, math, I don't know. Math, honestly, I like no, that's kind of the point. I don't know who two would have been. Uh, I didn't know much, enough about Nasir Brooks. He certainly would not have been on the list. I would have thought, what can you get from Breakfield? Um, you know, I don't think you're ever, there's ever going to be a time where you're going to play through Austin Crowley and Deshaun Ruffin's a freshman. And I haven't seen enough from Matthew Morell offensively to know. So that's kind of the, I guess that's kind of the point I'm making is. 
Uh, Joyner wasn't very good in the last four or five minutes of the game, particularly after the last media timeout. And as a result, Ole Miss didn't seem to know where to go. They actually, their best offense was Ty Fagan got downhill a couple of times and got towards the rim. He has really good vision when he drives. He made a couple of passes that uh, I'm not acting like some basketball savant here, but like I couldn't even see like he, he made a couple of passes coming down towards like into the lane that got a couple guys open, got Nasir Brooks fouled once. I think it led to a dunk another time that just showed really good vision. And a lot of times Ole Miss's best offense towards the end of that game was a couple of drives from him. And then Luis Rodriguez got downhill off the side out of bounds out of a timeout, which in the second half in particular, you could argue was Ole Miss's best offense. They were really good in ball out of bounds plays under the basket and side out of bounds plays. I, I would love to go back. I'm probably not going to watch that game again because it's a November basketball game, but I would love to know how many points they got off of out of bounds plays. They were really, really sharp in that regard. And that's something they weren't great at last year. If I recall, I'm just thinking off the top of my head there, but that I thought that was a positive from this game. But again, what seemed to plague Ole Miss was a couple of defensive lapses late. And once again, they didn't really know what to do and who they wanted to go through when the game got crucial and they needed to run good half-court offense. Now, the bright side of that is, looks like they have more options to do so than last year. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But last year it was, uh, Joyner doesn't really have it, hasn't figured it out yet. Can't really count on Morrell. Let's play through Romello White. But it's really, really hard at times to play through a back-to-the-basket post guy late in games. It's not impossible. And they were, honestly, that stretch they had, and I guess that was early February, late January, last year where they started playing good basketball, that's exactly what they did. And Romello White, White was pretty good. I don't think that's something they can do this year with Nasir Brooks, but he has looked better offensively than I thought. But the, the bright side of that is it's only three games in. So they have time to figure this out. And I think they have more options than they do a year ago. So I'm curious to see. It sucks that they lost this game because they would have gotten a chance to play West Virginia. I don't know if that game would have been close. It would have certainly been an opportunity and a quality win. I don't know if it would have been close, but if they got into another crunch time scenario, how that would have looked compared to last night. And they're going to get more opportunities. They get Memphis and Oxford. They get a Dayton team that's not very good, but they're going to have a couple of games that come down the wire in this non-conference stretch. It might happen again in this tournament against Elon or whoever they play on Sunday. But I'm curious to see how that evolves, because if that's something they haven't generally figured out by conference play because look it's not absolutes it even sometimes changes game to game for good teams but if you don't have a general idea of who you want to be in those late minutes offensively going into conference play that would be to me a real red flag with this team maybe I'm wrong about that but it was the same problem last year and I think they were kind of counting on Joyner being that guy this year Joyner did show some good things last night and has shown it through the first three games he's getting downhill he's getting by guys off the dribble more and getting to the basket. He didn't have a great night last night. He missed a couple of finishes, but look, basketball, it happens. He went four for 13 from the field, 13 points. Look, when he plays 39 minutes, Ole Miss is going to need more offensive output than that. But again, it's one game. I thought he did some good things. Like I mentioned, the downhill stuff off the dribble is certainly an encouraging sign. That's something that Ole Miss simply could not do last year, whether it was Joyner or any of their guards. They could not beat people off the bounce. They could not penetrate. And it really bogged down the entire offense because they weren't a great perimeter shooting team and they weren't creating open shots by making guys, uh, really just putting them in conflict and making help defenders come in and having open shots. Uh, I would say the, the example of that, if you're kind of trying to paint a picture of what that is, was what uh Marquette did in the last couple of minutes I mean how many times it seemed at least three times maybe at least twice I think three where they drove baseline 
popped it back out to the guy on the wing and he either got an open three-pointer or shot faked and got to the rim and either got fouled and made an easy bucket or made two free throws. Ole Miss couldn't do that last year. It looks like they're going to have a little bit, a little bit more there this year. I, you know, when Deshaun Ruffin gets back, he's quick. Um, and if you can get Joyner downhill, I think they'll be fine there. So there was some good stuff. I was kind of rambling there. I'll go through a couple of notes I wrote down before we uh, get out of here. Cause I don't want to spend too much time on this game and be labor the point. And again, as I mentioned, when Bracken and I talked last week, this is uh, this is three games. Please don't take this. It's like sweeping assumptions about the seasons. This is just note. I wrote down last night, Ty Fagan been really good for Ole Miss. I don't really, that was a sign when they got him from Georgia. I didn't really understand it, but I didn't also pretend that I knew everything about what he did at Georgia and what they saw in him as a player. I just was like, Oh, this is a puzzling one. He's been really good for Ole Miss went one for two from the three point line last night, three for five from the field. He only ends up with, eight points, but I thought he's done some nice stuff offensively. And I think you'll see him be a little bit more aggressive. I think he played. There's no way that's correct. Sorry. I had to pause there for a second. He only played 10 minutes last night. That seems surprising because he made to me, I thought he made an impact and he was out on the floor towards the end of the game. It may have been a foul trouble issue. I saw he has, he finished the game with four fouls, but he has eight points on three of five from the field makes a three and only plays 10 minutes. I think he's the only dude on the team with a positive plus minus, which, you know, a loss, whatever. I don't, I don't love plus minus as a stat, but I thought he's done some nice things. He's shown one of some quickness ability to get to the rim and his vision on the drive has been really good so far. And if he can continue to be a somewhat consistent, uh, at least respectable three point threat, at least that's enough there to where opponents have to extend out more so than they might. If he was no threat, I think he's going to start getting more minutes for Ole Miss. I think they have to play him more. That 10-minute number is shocking to me. Uh, I think he's been really good. I thought Austin Crowley has shot the ball better for Ole Miss. I think that's a plus. He takes some bad shots. He doesn't seem to always be in the greatest spots defensively. Um, that That's just a naked eye thing. That could be totally wrong. But there were a couple of times last night where I was like, damn, he missed that closeout or he wasn't quite there um, when he was playing either the top or the right side of that kind of extended one th- one two three zone that Ole Miss was in or whatever that was a sunken down one three one I think it was even fronted whatever I thought Crowley shot the ball well this year and looks like a more confident player offensively takes some bad shots but thought he was good for the most part last night and then the next positive was Nasir Brooks he's been great so that's a seven foot guy playing against in a game where I didn't think figure he could play Marquette's small um, they do the whole t- classic shock of smart you know half court three-quarter court, full-court pressure for most of the game. Uh, That's kind of just what they do. That's his MO all the way back to the VCU days. And he played 27 minutes last night. He was 6-7 of from the field, 1-3 of from the free throw line, and 7 rebounds. 13-7 of in 27 minutes. He's been great. He moves better defensively than I thought. I thought that was one of the games where – he might get run off the floor because it's a smaller lineup. The game's quicker, but he fared fine. He was a monster on the glass. He got a couple offensive rebounds in a row late in one of those possessions at Ole Miss really just couldn't buy a basket at that point, but he's been really good. And he's a lot more polished offensively than I just assumed he would be. And by that, I mean, the, you know, I'll watch some YouTube stuff on him, but that's incredibly hard to get an actual feel for a guy. He's been a lot more polished offensively than I thought. Luis Rodriguez, nine points, three and nine from the field. Not his most efficient night, but he's been a little bit better so far from the three-point line this season, I thought. If Fagan and Crowley and 
Brooks, excuse me, not Brooks, <laughs> Rodriguez can be a little bit better and more consistent kind of by by committee at the three-point line. I think that's how Ole Miss becomes a respectable shooting three-point team. They finished 8-20 last night, 40%. You'll take that every single time out. I think they were only like two of nine in the second half, but they shot it. They were like six of 11 in the first half. So it evened out. You'll take 40% from the three-point line every game. So if they can continue to do that, those three, and then mix in a little bit of morale and a little bit of joiner from the three-point line, I think they'll be an okay three-point shooting team. Uh, already hit the joiner notes. He's got to be more efficient. It's got to be better down the stretch of games. He had that one where they kind of got him isolated in the middle of the floor. He had the – he created his own shot, made about a 12-footer just in front of the free-throw line. Uh, I think that cut the game to four. Maybe it cut it to two. And I was like, okay, this may, this is what they're going to try to do these last five, six minutes. Maybe run him off some screen, some two-man action, and this is who they're going to play through. And then you really just never saw it. I'm not even actually sure he scored again. So that's got to be better. Uh, Matthew Morell and, Jar- and Jamie and Brakefield are not offering them much offensively. I say that on a night where Brakefield scores 11 points on five and nine shooting, only gets to the line once in 27 minutes. I don't know what his ceiling is for, for Ole Miss offensively. I did, that was kind of the question. I figured he'd be good enough athlete, and he at least seemed to play with effort at Duke defensively, that he would be fine on defense, play a pretty decent rebounder. But what was his ceiling offensively? He makes a three last night, the only one he took. Was okay at times from the field, but also uh, had a couple where he wasn't the greatest finishing around the rim. And I just – I don't know. He scores 11 points. I didn't think it was his best offensive game. I don't know what Ole Miss can expect from him um offensively but I'm kind of curious to find out over the next couple games but it hasn't been a ton so far and then Matthew Morell plays 21 minutes only takes three shots and only scores two points that's not a great sign Ole Miss needs him to be much better than that Robert Allen was nice off the bench he's not always great defensively he ends up with four fouls in only 20 minutes but he offers some nice things on offense and you know he goes eight points four of eight from the field uh he took a three I think he had six rebounds and four of those came on the offensive glass. He plays a great effort and some energy there. So I thought he did some decent stuff. Sammy Hunter only played five minutes. I don't think he registered a stat. I think he had a foul, something like that. But I'm curious to see how that front court rotation shakes out uh, because, you know, Ole Miss does have some malleability. Uh, I think Brooks gives them that and particularly his ability to stay on the floor in games where the other team is small. And again, there's a one game sample size of that, but if last night was any indication, they're going to have some malleability. They're going to have a chance to go big for whether that's the front court or the back court. You kind of saw that where the, there was a time last night where I believe I don't, I could have this wrong, but I think they were playing Rodriguez and Brakefield, or maybe it was Rodriguez and Morrell at some one point at the top of the zone. I'm not even sure if that was by design, but they were really long. And so they have some, they can run out some different lineups. They have a chance to play both small and big. And I think that's going to help them when they match up teams with better talent than them on in the, when they get in the sec play. And I think they can play multiple ways. I think Ole Miss can play fast. You could make an argument. They probably should have been a little bit more aggressive in transition last night. But again, that was a game where I think they missed nine layups and that's exactly what Marquette wants you to do. Wants you to get sped up. That's why they do the pressure thing. So I'm not going to second guess how they played. I just think Ole Miss with their lineup versatility is going to be able to play some different ways that they weren't last year kind of was what it was. They were going to have to play really, really good half court defense, try to get some points in transition and just survive in half court offense. The last negative six of 15 from the free throw line, that's 40%. That's not going to cut it. Whenever you shoot the same percentage from the three point line as you did the free three free throw line, probably not going to win many basketball games. Again, Ole Miss didn't really play well in the second half last night. And 
you know, it happens. I thought there were some good things that went over. I thought there were some bad things. There were some defensive lapses late that cost them. Uh, you know, there were some really bad offensive stretches. Another good thing was they only turned the ball over nine times against that pressure. And, you know, ball handling and, and guard depth was something I was a little concerned is the wrong word. Interested to see if Ole Miss was going to have it this year. And they looked fine last night. I don't, there wasn't really much of a time where Marquette got them speed, sped up and where it was a backcourt live ball turnover. There weren't very many of those. They weren't slinging the basketball around the gym. They broke the press fine and they handled the ball fine. So I thought they were good in that regard. And they were 10 turnovers themselves, but seven of them were steals. Ole Miss is really active, particularly on perimeter defense. Uh, those guards play really hard. They have active hands and they forced seven steals last night, but I think they only got six fast break points off of it, which you need to be better. So there's some stuff there. They just got to clean some things up offensively. I thought they were fine defensively. Marquette only shot like 44, 47% from the field, I think. And then, you know, when I talk about the defensive lapses in the second half, the two guys you knew could beat you. Cause I think with Marquette, it's the Justin Lewis kid who was having a nice freshman year before he got hurt last year. And then Morsell, uh, Daryl Morsell, the kid that came over from Maryland as a grad transfer, he had 21 in their win over number 10, Illinois, coming into this game. He has 22 last night, and Lewis really heated up in the second half. He had 21, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, where I want to make sure how many of those came in the second half. Yeah, 16 of those came in the second half. So Ole Miss did a decent job on him in the first half, but he really came to life, particularly from the perimeter. And, you know, Morsell, 13 of his 21, or 13 of his 22 in the second half. So Ole Miss was a little worse defensively on the two guys that couldn't beat you in the second half. And – you know, it wasn't like Marquette had much of an advantage inside. They only had 16 points in the paint to Ole Miss is 38. Ole Miss out-rebounded them. They just kind of let the guards cut them up later in the game. I don't know if that was a product of being tired. Marquette did make some tough contested jump shots from the perimeter, but that some defensive lapses late killed them. But anyway, that was really all I had from a basketball analysis standpoint. Thought there were some good things last night. Thought there were some bad things. I don't know how that win's going to stack up or loss is going to stack up. I don't love Marquette. They were fit, picked to finish third to last in a loaded Big East. Uh, I think they were only ahead of DePaul and Marquette, or excuse me, DePaul and Georgetown. But I think they'll finish a little better than that. I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team, but I don't think they're a bad team. So I think what this win really robs you of is the opportunity to have a quality early win, which would have been facing off against West Virginia tonight. They're going to have some opportunities in the non-conference. Uh, you would like to be Dayton, Dayton to be a little better than they were, but they're going to get Memphis. They might even sneak around and get one towards the end of this tournament. I don't know how the rest of that bracket lines up, but they're going to have opportunities, but it was certainly a missed opportunity to register a potentially decent win on the resume against Marquette. Don't know how that'll turn out and have the opportunity to notch what would have been if they won against West Virginia, what was definitely would have been a quality win. So good, some good, some bad. I'm curious to see what the next week looks like. Let's get to Chris Lee. But before we do, I want to remind you, this podcast and all MPW Digital Podcasts are brought to you by Manscaped. That's right, Manscaped, the ultimate resource for men's grooming. You need to check Manscaped out. They author precision tools for your jewels. Lawnmower 4.0 option. Heard the 70s were a wild time. But Manscaped is here to make sure you are probably kempt and groomed down there. You need to join the over 2 million men who use Manscaped to probably groom in the bathroom area, it is time to make me time your favorite time in the bathroom. Check out the Lawnmower 4.0 uh, LED light, nice portable charger there, all kinds of different options. Uh, there are all kinds of different products there at Manscaped. You need to check them out. 
uh, make sure you're kept down there. No one wants things to get out of control and uh, to make sure you have some nice, smooth voice. So check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW to get 20% off. Here is Chris Lee. All right, we now welcome on friend of the podcast, Chris Lee, VandySports.com, also publisher of southeastern14.com do a ton of great work with all sports but baseball in particular i know as you guys bread and butter which we obviously big baseball following here that's kind of my i would say my preferred sport in terms of covering and following here to talk some vandy probably get into some big picture stuff just because see i mean the game seems like it be is what it is kind of what we talked about right before we started recording but uh, how are you i appreciate you joining us again i'm doing well you're having me on to talk baseball right yeah, that's right. We were going to go through uh, every, all 14 SEC schools fall ball. Uh, as, as I sit here wearing my Braves a hat. Positive conversation, right? I mean, you talk some Vandy right. baseball. That's always pretty good. We do have a couple football games left, which I know. Look, I've been there. We were talking about this right before we started recording. The Matt Luke years were one and the yeah. same. Like, I know Vanderbilt's losing at a little bit different level. But when you had an Ole Miss team where under Matt Luke where they were going to lose to everyone not named Arkansas – Vanderbilt and maybe state you get seven eight weeks in the year it's like all right what what else am I riding like we just let's just get to the finish line I know that's kind of how it feels with Vanderbilt so far I guess we'll start off though is there's has there been one thing that has surprised you in a positive light about this team I know that might be a hard question off to the bat but I'm just curious looking through it because I was even trying to find it today it's like well they've done this well when I was writing and I couldn't find it Brian, there's not much. I would say one thing is we knew coming into the season that they had almost no speed. And when you don't have speed in this league or any league, it's just not going to work very well. But the one thing that I did see in fall camp is that they had tightened up their coverages and they were making more aggressive plays on the ball. And look, they're the worst team in most of the games they played this year. I would say that most of the computers considered them better than UConn. That's about it. And they won that game on the last play of the game. So when you don't have talent, turnovers become really important. And they're important for most teams, but they have done pretty well with interceptions. I don't know where they stand in the league lead right now, but they were up there last time I checked. That is one thing that I think that they have made almost something out of nothing in a year where there's not been a whole lot else that, that you can point your finger to as signs of progress. It, I know it kind of is what it is for this year, but one of the things I was fascinated about when we talked in the preseason was just the Clark, Clark Lee rebuild and how you actually do this. And I know there's a lot of layers to it because as we documented when we were talking last time about the Vanderbilt's it wishy, wishy-washy is not the right term, but they bought into football for a short time, the way the James Franklin era ended there's a lot of dynamics at play from post that in terms of their actual buy-in to football. I guess we'll start with kind of on the field and, and Clark Lee's demeanor all year. How has he kept, cause it's gotten pretty bad. I know over the uh, last couple of weeks, look, they played, um, you know, they haven't quit. They played South Carolina pretty tough. They didn't even quit last week and they got down against Kentucky. So it does seem like at least from a 10,000 foot view that they are playing hard. How has he kept, any sort of positive vibe or any sort of positive outlook when the losses continue to pile up when games aren't competitive. I'm just curious what his demeanor has been throughout the year, because when you talk about a refilled, man, this is a tough one. Yeah. He's a fairly stoic guy, which I think helps in times like this. Although you can see 
and you didn't see it at the first of the year, you can just get little hints that the losses, I think, are, are taking their toll a little bit. You've got to be very even keeled if you're going to not go crazy in this job. And I think you've got to be who you are, right? And at times that has drawn him criticism. I think fans want him to, to yell and scream a little bit more and act more upset. And you do see that every now and then on the sideline. Again, I go back to you are who you are. And if you're being someone else, I think people pick up on that. So I'm not I'm not going to knock Clark Lee for being who he is, but I do think their staff could probably use a little more um, a James Franklin guy, a little bit of, of a rah-rah guy. I, I think maybe in the offseason, maybe he can find some guys to do that. He's got an offensive line coach who does that some, although he's not done an exceptional job himself. But, yeah, I, I think that his demeanor has been pretty calm, and he's talked of a 10-year plan which has irritated fans at times because they're like, well, we're getting our tails kicked right now. How about doing something about that? But as I've said, you remember the podcast we did in August. I said their talent pool is just so limited. This going to be very hard for them to do anything with. And that is how it has played out. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. It, it's interesting. You mentioned some people getting irritated of him talking about the 10-year plan versus what are you going to do right now? But I mean, when you looked at it, even from as early as this summer, spring, really as soon as he got hired, this first year was going to kind of be what it was for the lack of a better phrase, right? Like what what else can you do? When you talk about the talent pool and the slim margin for error, and it doesn't seem like they've had great fortune with injuries either when I was kind of digging through that earlier this week. And when you already don't have depth, that's just a death knell. I mean, Ole Miss was struggling with it through the late months of the late part of October and they have some semblance of depth. It's not where the coaching staff wants it to be, but I, like you said before we started recording, I was just kind of asking how things were on y'all's and you mentioned like, you know, it's just kind of get to the finish line. Is there any element of that? Do you sense among whether it's the staff or the players? I know they haven't quit or anything, but this first year was always going to be tough. And I'm just curious if you can sense that at all. And it's, can we get past these two games and then just try to see what we can do to fix this in the offseason? Is there any element of that? Brian, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, if I'm thinking it, you're thinking it, and I'm going, man, there's nine days till football season's done for me to cover. You, you would think that the players who are, you know, putting in everything in August and going to classes on top of this, or that's somewhere in the back of their head. But like you said, it has not shown up on film. Now, I think back to something you said earlier. I didn't expect the win-loss record to be a lot different, but I think what you wanted to see, and I said this from the start, you want to see games that they're losing maybe by 30, lose them by 14 or 17 instead. You knew that if everything went really well, it might be four wins. It might be four wins. And they're, they're going to win two this year because they'll lose this weekend and they'll lose to Tennessee. But you would like to see something, you know, let's say take Ole Miss – Make it a competitive game at halftime. Have a shot midway through the third quarter. Do that against Tennessee. Do something to give people something. I mean, the, the two games they have won, they have won on a made field goal. I mean, they're not that far away from being 0-10 at this point. So I think, to me, it's not the wins and losses. It's show some improvement. And, Brian, they've been really bad on offense. And I think the biggest thing that people hold against them, and I don't think this is far off base, the play calling is – questionable at times a lot of their passes they don't seem to have much in the way of a quick slant in the playbook uh everything is thrown outside the hash marks there's been a lot of 
throw the ball 35 yards to get seven type of throws at times. I just don't think they make sense when you can't protect. They've got a starting quarterback who I thought was really good as a true freshman a year ago, given what was around him and given the fact that his line was awful. He has regressed tremendously. I think you've got to put some of that on the offensive staff. So if you want to talk about where fair criticisms are, I think it's that their offense has been poor. They have a talented young quarterback who's regressed and looks at times like his confidence has just shot. And I think that's really what has made fans angry, and I think they have a right to be so. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to next is you've seen two quarterbacks, and we talked about that a little bit in the preseason, but you figured for the most part it was Ken Seal's job. And I agree. Even It's weird to say that in an 0-10 season or 0-9, whatever it was last year, Given what's around him, he looked pretty good. Like for, for the like for for what it was, right? I mean, that's there were some moments in the state game where I like, right, this guy has a little something. And I'm curious because that's something I haven't noticed at all. Was you mentioned the the throws, everything outside the hash marks, not really utilizing the middle of the field, particularly in the intermediate parts. You got to have dudes with some serious arm talent to complete throws yeah. like that. And you would think they'd use the middle of the field to try to get the kids some confidence. It's for lack of a better race, like you said. I, why do you think that hasn't happened? Like when you said that, I was kind of surprised because that doesn't seem to, I'm not an X's and O's savant by any stretch of the word, but that doesn't seem to make any sense at all. What is the, what is the reasoning when they're asked about that? What is the philosophy behind that? I've never asked him specifically about that, but from what I understand, hearing through the grapevine a little bit, you call that kind of offense when you are just getting whipped at the point of attack, when other teams have linebackers and, and defensive linemen that you can't deal with. So if you can get the play outside the hash marks, you eliminate some of those guys. Well, the problem is when those guys are getting your quarterback in, in about 0.78 seconds, it seems like sometimes uh, your play kind of falls apart. And with Ken Seals, you just see a guy that is expecting defenders in his face every play. Um, he doesn't have time to complete throws. He's been injured twice this year with the finger, and I think it was a hip last week from taking hits. I, I just was hoping for him he'd get through the season with his health because he was just getting hit so many times. And then you have a quarterback in Mike Wright. If you see him, Mike just takes off. Uh, and Mike is Mike was a 100-meter track star in high school. I think he ran at 10-8, so he can really fly. So I know you, you had asked me about that yet, but that is one thing that I know people have noticed is they've been playing two quarterbacks. And I feel like with Ken Seals, I think everybody feels like he's the better quarterback. But, but in this offense, I'm not sure Peyton Manning uh, could, could win it just because there's, there's so little time to throw the ball. Uh, and, and that's the thing that's kind of put Mike in play is the fact that he can just run off and, and beat you with a 60-yard run every now and then when he needs to. And, and so it's, it's made for an interesting dynamic. That doesn't help with Seals' confidence either, I imagine. I know you do a show with him, right? And he seems like a I good do. kid, well-spoken kid. How is he? How does he keep from – going insane is a little extreme, but how does he keep a morale when they kind of just get beat over the head every single week? What have you noticed just from talking to him? I know, he, I mean, anytime you put a microphone in front of someone, like you're going to try to put it together for the most part. But, shoot, that would, that, just, that would seem to get demoralizing to me. How has he fared throughout the year as things have kind of gone south? Yeah, I, I've wondered that, too. I, I don't know how he does it. In fact, I, I called an audible on their off week, said, Ken, I'm just going to give you a break this week, uh, just <laughs> so we don't have to talk about the same thing every week. I said it nicer than that, but, right. um, you know, he, he knew what I meant. And, you know, I would say the thing is this. He played at a Texas high school football 
He played on the big stage there for a program that didn't do a lot of winning. He took him to the playoffs his senior year and maybe his junior year too. So he had some experience in coming into a situation where a program is not used to winning. And I, I thought last year, to me, when I saw him get through the season and never lose his confidence, I thought that's a kid who's a winner. Uh, because I think to not get beat down, taking all the hits and all the losses, you know, I, I thought that's that's pretty special to continue to play at a good level. You know, but but this year you have to wonder two years in a row at this point that, that that's got to be tough to take. Yeah, I would think so as well. What do you think they do long term at the position? Because this kind of gets into another conversation of the way recruiting's going. You're going to see it at Ole Miss this year where they're going to go incredibly portal heavy just to try to replenish some depth that they don't have and they're not going to be able to build quick enough with high school kids without taking a gigantic step back. Do you see – I'm not asking you to like tell you anything that he's told you or vice versa or whatever, but do you see him sticking around? What do you think the long-term future in general at the quarterback position is for Vanderbilt? Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't asked him about it privately. I mean, if the kid wanted to transfer, nobody would blame him. Sure. Um, especially since he's been in the system for two years in a row that they can't block. And the offensive line coach has come under some fire. So is the coordinator. Well, if, if they make changes at both those places, goodness, I think that'll be their fourth O-line coach in four years and their fifth OC in five years. And so you get to a point, you're just going, okay, are you better off just sticking it out with the guy that, that might be mediocre at best just because of continuity? Are you better off just saying, hey, this isn't working – so I don't know how Ken Seals or who anybody on the team would process through that, but I, I think the losing gets old for those kids. I know they never say it publicly, but I think showing up in your own stadium every week and generally in SEC games out being outnumbered two to one or worse gets really old. Um, you know, I, I think it's almost more energizing to play on the road for them than it is at home because at least on the road you expect to be outnumbered. Um, I just think all the stuff that is that is added up again. I don't know what Ken or anybody else may or may not do, uh, but but I see it from my vantage point, and it would be awfully tough to deal with. Yeah, it really would. And so as they, we'll start with the South Carolina game because there have been a couple of times where they've been competitive, and you know they beat UConn. I actually thought we'll back up actually for a second because I wanted to get to the season opener. What? What were your thoughts after that, right? Because I remember when we were going through in August, it was like, okay, they'll probably get by ETSU. Colorado State, not good, but that'll still be a tough game. And we kind of started to find a way to four wins. Well, then you lose to ETSU without scoring a touchdown. But they, to their credit, they respond on the road next week in a game they came back in, they won it on a field goal. Just take me through the two weeks, whether it's you or the team or whatever. Like, what is the range of thoughts, emotions, whatever after that? Because – when they lost 23 to three or whatever it was, I was like, Oh God, like this could be way worse yeah. than I thought. And credit to them the next week they won it. But what was that seven days like? Well, you went easier on me than I probably deserved. I didn't use the word. They should win this. I said they will, because as bad as it's been, <laughs> they've never dropped a game like that. They'd never lost a game against an FCS team and they had beaten ETSU under Derek Mason at just the depths of despair, and they beat him by, I think, 30-something points. I'm going, okay, you played him two years ago. We know how that panned out. Now, in fairness to ETSU, that team's 9-1 and one and much improved, and their coach is, I think, in year five there, 
And that's about when you hit your sweet spot where you've got your players and you've done all the things you can do. But come on, you shouldn't lose to ETSU and you sure shouldn't lose 23 to three. I think they probably went to that game thinking we'll win it. I, I wouldn't blame them for thinking it. I was thinking it. But I think the next week, you know, they, they go into Colorado State. That's on the road. And they look awful for the first 15 minutes. I think CSU scores either two touchdowns or a touchdown on a field goal. And I think it was the first, the first two times with the ball. And I'm just sitting there going, man, they're not only going to lose this one, they're going to get blown out. They hung in there. They made some adjustments to the game plan. And Joseph Bulavis, who played at Alabama and was their starting kicker, I think three years ago, hits a game-winning field goal in the last minute. That was one of those you said, okay, they've at least got the quality of resiliency uh, to come back after something like that and win, which which is something, right? Uh, but there's only been one more since, and that was beating an awful UConn team with the field goal on the last play of the game. So uh, I'll, I'll give them that. They have kicked back, uh, no pun intended, when they were really down, but that's about all they've got their, to ha- their hat to hang on at this point. Was the South Carolina game, how significant was that in terms of morale? And beyond the obvious, just because it seemed like, and I didn't get to watch much of that game because I think Ole Miss played around the same time, but it seemed like they kind of had it and they let it slip away. How much stock would you have put into going, I mean, one and seven versus zero and eight? It's really just getting the one SEC win. How deflating was that loss? Oh, I, th- I think it was really deflating. Um, I, 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 it felt like they were going to have that game. And I've seen them lose a lot of games in spectacular fashion, but it felt like they had that one. And that was another thing that got Clark Lee under fire is they didn't send a, a pass rush that entire drive against Zeb Nolan, who cannot handle a pass rush. And they, they kind of handed it back to them on a silver platter with that and maybe an offensive call or two on their last full series. So, yeah, I think it was deflating. I think I was looking at the schedule, but I couldn't find it in time. I think the next week they lost to Mississippi State and were never really in the game. And, and now two weeks ago they were in the Missouri game. They had a shot until Tyler Beatty broke off a really long run with about three minutes left. But uh, their best two chances to win were those two. Frankly, I, I didn't think they'd beat either one. I didn't think they'd be that competitive against South Carolina. They were 18-and-a-half-point dogs. Uh, but maybe the element of surprise played in there because Mike Wright played that game. Carolina didn't know that was coming, and, and that probably helped a bit. But, yeah, I mean, I think it had to be deflating because they had a win right there, and it would have snapped a long conference losing streak that I think is maybe 19 games now. You, you know, you'd probably, if you're a player, like to quit hearing about that. So I, I think that was pretty significant. Absolutely. So they get through the year. It'll be 2-10. and 10. What's next? I guess this is probably a good enough time to get in the administrative part of it. I saw this, and forgive me, I saw this, and I probably should have looked this up before, but I saw it in the pat flash in a pan on Twitter. They released renderings for a new football stadium. Is that correct? Yeah, and and that that's a whole can of worms on so what, its own. What's the scoop on that? What is the story behind that? Because I think that's well, probably telling with the buy-in to some degree, right? It, it is, but it, at Vanderbilt, it's never, it's never easy, okay? I mean, they, have, they are 30 years behind on facilities. And so this is going to help um, what's been released and what people have told me they've seen privately. Like, even their worst critics say, it's really, really nice. That whole stadium is going to look a lot different years from now. They're going to have a gigantic 
basketball facility. I think that'll help them in recruiting in a sport where they can win. And my understanding is there's more upgrades to come beyond that. That'll touch baseball and some of the other sports like tennis and golf, where they actually win at a pretty significant clip, but, but they don't have really good facilities because they just don't invest in anything. But the interesting thing, Brian, is they released that at lunchtime on a Friday. They didn't have they didn't have a press conference. No rollout plan. No, no rollout plan. And, and it was the plan was originally what they had told donors is that they were going to break ground as soon as the season was over. We're now they're not going to break ground until after next season is over. Uh, and I have some theories on that. But here's the thing, okay? Any other school in the country, and, and Vanderbilt, God knows, they have come under fire for everybody. Everybody goes to that stadium and goes, they need to do something. The league needs to force their hand. So you would think that in the midst of all this, they would trumpet this on a Wednesday afternoon or whatever, when everybody's through press conferences and all, be all over the SEC network, whatever you need to do, uh, get it out there to where it's at the top of the news cycle and everybody's got something to talk about and saying, man, look look at how nice this thing is they're putting together. They did it instead like they were going outside to sneak a cigarette. I mean, it's just, well, and that's what I am getting to. I think that there's so much pushback on that campus from elite faculty type people and administrators that there literally is a mindset there um, that, that football is like me and you playing touch football on the weekend. And that if we spend any more time on it, and, and that means, you know, if, if we get to be really good, that probably means you and I are spending too much time on it at the expense of academics or, or whatever would be considered, you know, a, a more worthy pursuit. That's the mindset on that campus. I will give the chancellor a ton of credit. Um, he has fought a lot of battles. He's new. He's probably made some enemies. But what I had heard coming in was that this was really a priority for him. He felt like athletics were an embarrassment. He felt like they're the front porch uh, to, to the school and that they should be good and they should be competitive and their facilities should be nice. I give him a lot of credit for coming in a time where just stuff kept getting pushed back and pushed back and promises were broken. I'm sure that he fought a lot of fights privately. And to me, the way that whole thing was released, that was like, okay, let, let's give people kind of what they need, but let's, let's kind of keep it out of the spotlight. Um, so we don't get stones thrown at us on campus. It just was, it was fascinating how they came out with it. Yeah. And I'm curious about that. Like, look, there's a, a days long conversation to be had about the dynamic of higher ed and all that, as opposed to athletic and mindsets. And really it becomes a political thing uh, after yeah. a while, very quickly. But what's interesting is that all these other schools and Vanderbilt has always been unique because it is private, but that pushback you get at other schools doesn't necessarily amount to much. And I'm, I'm simplifying this to the nth degree here. So please don't consider this thorough, but other than a couple angry professors on Twitter or something like that, where it seems like a Vanderbilt that actually carries some weight. And I'm curious why, because I, they, I get it. It's Vanderbilt, it's football. They haven't been competitive in it, but it's still a pretty gigantic revenue driver just from the slice of the pie you get from the sec and t- TV revenue and all that. Why do you think the, the higher ed and the people that you're talking about on that campus have so much pull because 
I get it. David Shaw at Stanford, right? He doesn't have, he, there's, he has recruiting limitations, but it's still Stanford football. And so some of these academic institutions, you still have competitive sports. And at the end of the day, it seems like sports can win some battles there to where at Vanderbilt, it seems like they have trouble winning any. Why do you think that is? You know, they made a decision around 1960 when the rest of the league was investing in more scholarships. They actually reduced their scholarship commitment from what I think or it was not at the level. Like, in other words, every other school in the league was playing with X amount of scholarships and they were playing with Y. And they took a lot of pride in that at the time because they felt it showed fiscal responsibility or, or whatever they felt at the time. I asked someone sometime, like, who is the bad guy that's stopping progress? And it, it's hard to always know because Vanderbilt is a private school that they guard everything fiercely and decisions are made in a small closed circle of maybe five or six people. It's the chancellor. It's whoever the chair of the board is at the time. It's maybe an academics person or two. If it's an athletic matter, it's, it's an AD. And so it's this little, as someone on the faculty described to me, is this black box where nobody knows what's going on. So that's one layer. The other layer is it's just the culture. Uh, someone said, I don't know that there's like a bad guy as much as it's been. That's the way that they have thought for a long time. And it's just so ingrained in the way that everybody on campus processes things. And look, when, when you're embarrassing too, the way they are in football, you know, your kids get laughed at when they're going to class and made fun of and those sorts of things. It's just this awful set of circumstances that everybody there has to deal with. I think somebody needed to step in and be bold and take some steps to change the culture. And, and if the chancellor just didn't do that, I, I, I don't know what else you could do really than, than what he has just done. What does that mean in both the short term and long term for Clark Lee? Look, this is not a long fix. We talked about the 10 year plan. But at least some of this transfer portal stuff does offer the opportunity to expedite the process if you do it correctly. What do you think, whether it's the facilities upgrading the new stadium and all that, or just the message he's selling in general, how do you see what he does over the next two years and it actually amounting to change on the field, if that makes sense? Like how much, how much stock do you put in the fact that they do have new facilities coming, helping him get kids to campus? Because at the end of the day, as much as we want to talk about the you know, the faculty and all that, and there's a lot of layers to it. You got to get talent on the field or you don't have a chance. Yeah, the one thing that was a negative with this whole announcement, and they have not announced it, but they didn't deny it when I asked about it. What I had been told privately about a month ago is that probably stuff is not going to be finished till 2024 or 2025. You start doing the math on that. That means your freshmen on this team, if they redshirt, they'll get to see it. And most of the other kids won't. And so then, then you dial that a year forward with every recruiting class and you do the math on that. That means that it's not going to be a short-term thing. Now, I'm not telling you 100% I'm right on that, uh, but I heard that privately through a pretty good channel. And again, when I asked them about this this week, they, they didn't shut that down. So I think that it, there's not going to be a short-term benefit, although you can't at least hold that up there and say, hey, what you've heard about the school and its commitment to athletics here you go. Uh, it, you know, it may not be coming right away, but, but it's here. I, I think they've at least got that. One other thing I think that's important, Brian, uh, he has talked about a 10-year plan, and that's taken him into some criticism for some reasons we've kind of already been over. But one thing that he has said privately is he's not a big fan of the transfer portal. He feels like you're taking on other people's problems. Now, he said all that 
uh, before ETSU came out and ran it down their throats and beat them 20 to three and everything that's happened since. So um, it could be one of these things where, okay, now that I've seen how this is going to work, I might want to take that back and put some more emphasis in it. I have to think that I know the 10 year plan and I get that, but the coaches don't want to lose. They don't like losing any more than the fans do. I have to think that reshapes his thinking. And he said early in the season, you know, that they might take five or six type of transfers, you know, if they could find the right fits. I don't know that he meant that's going to be where the limit is, but it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays out this finding guys who can give them a shorter term fix uh, versus signing kids that they can develop over a longer haul and they can be good players three or four years down the line. I don't know how that's going to play out, but I know if they want to win more games next year, they need to take more than a couple of transfers. Yeah, that's what I was about to add to it as well. And even just the sometimes you can read weird about the word choice, like taking on other people's problems, like the, the way of the transfer portal being problem kids is about a decade gone by, right? And maybe yeah. not that far, but six, seven years at least. Now it's just kids wanting to get on the field. They're not necessarily problem guys. So I'm curious to see how that plays out because it look, we don't know how this is going to work. Ole Miss and Kiff, Lane Kiffin are dealing with the same thing right now in terms of how they want to balance it. Like, is this going to be a long-term thing in their strategy or is this going to be just how they make sure they don't take a step back this year? No one seems to know right now, but to some degree, this is going to be the way of the future. Does it ever become college basketball? Like I have no idea, but like the transfer reporter is going to be a significant part of the recruiting future. Even if we don't know exactly how that turns out. So I'm curious how a school like Vanderbilt, could I guess use that to their advantage and I guess this offseason and the next one or two will be pretty telling in terms of how he adapts to that or not because I mean if he doesn't do it doesn't that in other schools around him particularly whether it be SEC or just other programs kind of in Vanderbilt's neighborhood if they're doing it and it's working and he's not that becomes an adaptability issue right and that's what'll yeah up, that'll screw up a 10-year plan if you're just not adapting with the way the sport's going I'm guessing yeah well look Eventually, you've got to win some games to show recruit something. And, and so I think if you can't get a little better and show some improvement next year, it becomes a little bit harder to sell. Now, I've seen coaches at Vandy uh, sell things and, and get things turned around a couple years later when I thought, there's no way. I don't know how they're selling this. Coaches have a resiliency that fans don't and can see through things in ways that you and I might not. But, yeah, I have to think that that's got to be part of the plan just for a number of reasons. I think that was about all I had. Of, but <laughs> I was about to ask you about basketball and baseball season. What's the, what's the outlook on Stackhouse and what they need to do this year? Because that's another one that's been rough in a sport where they, it shouldn't actually be. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've not been a big fan of Jerry Stackhouse for a lot of reasons. Um, I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he puts in the time in recruiting. Having said that, they just landed a top 20 class. Uh, so I, I think he is working harder. He made a couple of much better assistant coach hires. I mean, he comes into Vandy and just hires two assistants or three assistants with basically zero college experience between any of them, which was a huge mistake. Uh, it, it did not help what was a little bit of a rebuild at the time. You know, they looked okay their first two games, but their first big test was Virginia Commonwealth on Wednesday night. They got beat 48-37, to 37, and worse than that, Scotty Pippen really got handled. I mean, he's been the guy that nobody's been able to stop 
for the most part, and they just slapped a double team on him at every turn, and, and Vanderbilt didn't know how to handle it. They've got an interesting game this weekend against Winthrop, which I think was 23-2 and two and went to the tournament last year. Winthrop's favored to win the Big South this year. I think that's going to be interesting. Brian, one problem for them right now is two of their four best players were transfers. They got Rodney Chapman from Dayton, uh, who gave them a dimension they didn't have which was a guard who can defend. And Chapman was part of that group at Dayton two or three years ago when the season got canceled by the pandemic where Dayton was probably going to be a one seed. He started every game for that team. He would have helped them. He's out with a meniscus issue, and I'm guessing he won't be back for another month or so. And then they've got Liam Robbins, who transferred from Minnesota, who led the Big Ten in blocks last year and would have given them a rim protector that they've not had since Luke Cornett. He's got a foot problem and was supposed to be ready for the start of the season. He's not. Now they're saying they hope to have him for conference play. I'm always a little concerned when you got big men with foot issues. Those two guys give them things they don't have. They're missing them right now. I think the big thing to me is I thought with those guys healthy, they might have a shot at the NIT. But you can't pile up losses like they took last night because conference is going to be brutal. You've got, I think, at least nine pretty good teams in the league, and I would include Ole Miss in that after what Ole Miss has done so far. So I, I think it's making a steep hill. they got to sneak some wins, hope they get those two guys back. If they do, that gives Pippen some help. They can make it interesting. But if they don't, it could be another pretty long winter for them. Fantastic answer. Chris Lee, I appreciate the time as always, and we will do this again, hopefully during hoops or baseball season. Uh, you bet. It's always fun. All right, that was Chris Lee. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Like I mentioned, some big picture stuff on Vanderbilt, really what the future of football is and what Clark Lee has ahead of him. Uh, really not a whole lot at all about the game because, again, what is there to talk about? So appreciate his time as always. We'll catch up with him around basketball, baseball season, hopefully as well. Let's get to Greg and close out the show. Here we go. Here is Fresh Cuts and some Friday picks. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. This is another edition of Fresh Cuts sponsored by both Skybox Sports Picks and LBs. Check them out, University Avenue across from Kroger. We've got week 12 in the NFL, week 13 of college football, I think. Yeah, week 13, whatever. Second to last week, who knows? I could probably have that wrong. Who cares? Uh, what's happening, dude? We got some games to get to. Big slate last weekend. Uh, how was the game day experience from the LB's vantage point? Yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, you know, like I said, any, uh, we were talking before we got uh, started the, the podcast, and, you know, anytime college game day comes to Oxford is a good weekend. So, uh yeah, I mean, we, I, I, I would say there was at least over a hundred thousand people for sure in Oxford last weekend. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. You were making a comment on how many people were on the square, you know, on a Friday night. But I mean, you know, how many people can get on the square on a Friday night? Yeah, I went into it with the mindset of like, yeah, we're gonna walk around and meet up with some folks, and like that just never happened. We ate at MC's parents' condo and then got dropped off on the square, at like. I want to say there's no way it was later nine. I think it was like around eight and got into Bure where it was already one in one out, but we somehow got in right at the right time where the line was only like five minutes. So we got up there without a cover. And I was like, we don't need to leave. I was looking out from the balcony and I was like, we, we probably need to post up here for the rest of the night and just try to put a hurting on a tab or something. So that was kind of what we did, but man, it was a zoo. You were, you were talking about it though. So there was, it was a huge weekend. A lot of people there, 
But I was talking to my parents who were there for both. And it sounds like in just terms of sheer number of people, LSU might have actually had more people in town. Do you like what did you think in terms of like what was because it be both were incredibly crowded? The big game day weekend's a big game day weekend. But just from talking to folks, it seemed like the sheer number of people and like traffic in Oxford, LSU for whatever reason seemed like an all timer. Yeah, I mean, always whenever LSU comes to town, it's always, you know, a uh, pretty big deal. But, yeah, I would say yeah, LSU was a little bit better. But, I mean, man, I mean, you know, it's just uh, this town can only take so much. And uh, whenever there's over 100,000 people in it, you know, you can tell it's, uh, it gets like to be a madhouse real quick. I did meet a couple of Texas A&M uh, fans at the bar. And uh, the first thing they asked me, they're like, are the covers always this high? I was like. Oh, usually it's a hundred dollars to get in. So <laughs> they kind of laugh at that. Yeah. Please don't ever come back. It's usually actually more expensive. So you got the best deal. Please don't ever come back to the city. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I love Oxford, but the, like, I mean, again, that's part of what gives it the small town feel, but in terms of like being able to accommodate that many people, it it's, the roads definitely can't, and like the the watering holes and establishments are busting at the seams. But that's part of what makes it fun. Yeah, um, I think uh, um, uh, I've got uh, 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 Joey. Uh, he he works for me at LBs, and he also bartends at the library. He told me Saturday when they opened up at eleven o'clock by twelve thirty, they had twenty two thousand dollars in cover at sixty bucks a pop. <laughs> An hour and a half. That is a ridiculous number. What? <laughs> Hold yeah, on. I'm not a big math guy. We're going to have to crunch the numbers on this in live action. This is fantastic podcasting. But luckily, the people that made the iPhone gave me quite the tool here where you can just look up, look it up real quick on the old iPhone calculator. So we got 22,000 divided by 60. Uh, in, a, in an hour and a half, like in an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's that's little under 400 people coming in in an hour and a half. Good God. Yeah. That's uh, that I bet throughout I mean, a know, huge like weekend, said, the number they put happen. up on covers is ridiculous. And think about it, that's not this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's 400 people coming in and out. But like, you got to think the amount of people that come in and out throughout a day, too. What do you think that number went up to in terms of different people in and out of there? Good Lord. Yeah. There's no telling, man. I mean, you know, it's just like how many people probably, you know, went ahead and paid the 60 bucks, got their wristband, watched, I don't know, maybe the first half of those games and then went to the Grove and then, you know, came back about 7 or 8 o'clock. Who knows? Uh, LBs, I heard, did about double that in an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. LBs did uh, had a good weekend. <laughs> I, I wish we would do something like that in an hour and a half. <laughs> What do we have going on this weekend at the store before we get into what happened last weekend of these games? Um, senior day, probably not as big as a crowd. I don't think the folks from Nashville will be bringing much of a crew, if I had to guess, but should be a nice weekend in Oxford. Those are honestly, for if you're coming back and wanting to, like, enjoy the weekend, uh, these were always my favorites, I, particularly when I lived there. Uh, and it was a little different because I was having to work the games, but like the Vanderbilts and some of the non-conferences where they don't bring as much of a crowd are kind of some of the more fun weekends in terms of just like the social aspect of it. But uh, what do we got going on at the store this weekend? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's just like you said, three weekends in a row is kind of hard for, you know, for some Ole Miss fans to come three weekends in a row. But, you know, uh, 
I, we were, ta- I think we were, I got asked the question, you know, what's the best weekend to come? And uh, I would think this is the perfect weekend to come. <laughs> uh, you know, it shouldn't be busy, should be able to get in the bars, have a drink and have a conversation. So it should be a really good weekend for a laid back weekend in Oxford. Speaking of needing a drink, I may have needed it after looking at my college picks last weekend. It was not the greatest for uh, for your guy here. I went four and eight in the college games. I don't think I locked a college game. I was listening back earlier today. You went six and six, pretty respectable. Uh, Skybox, excuse me, I went four, eight, and one. No, excuse me, three, eight, and one. Good God. Is he, no, see, I can't even add today. Four, seven, and one. So not terrible. You went six, five, and one because we put we all pushed Arkansas. Skybox, the nerds got us. They went seven, four, and one. I believe they went two and zero oh in free plays. So uh, that's that's always nice if you're listening to this podcast. You're raking in free money via Skybox sports picks. I went six and six in the NFL and three and two in my locks. But we got to talk about that in a second. You went five and seven and three and one in your locks. So pretty good week. But two of those we have to throw out. Well, for me, two, uh, for me, one, you two. So we both picked the Steelers minus eight against the Lions. But Big Ben had the had the whole self-reported COVID deal, which is like the most Big Ben thing ever, right? He loves having an injury, loves walking around with the walking boot, loves talking about how he's never 100%. <laughs> and he was like, hmm, I feel great. And it's week 12. What do we need to do? Oh, let's self-report some COVID symptoms. I don't think he actually did that, but it was just very on brand that Big Ben, of all people, was uh, self-reporting some COVID symptoms. But point being, that game cost us both a loss, and then you took the Arizona Cardinals minus 10 against the Panthers, and well, none of us were expecting the Cam Newton show, but we, at the time, we didn't know Kyler Murray was out. So that doesn't seem fair either. So throw in that one out. I won it because I took the Panthers anyway. I was like, there's no logic here but I'll take them anyway. Um, so that you were probably six and or five and six. And then I was probably six and five. And then on top of that, I love, I started saying I needed to uh, go back, like write them down as we go, but I like listening back to the week before. Cause I like hearing the dumb stuff. We say, I picked the Cowboys against the Falcons. And I said, I want to pick the Falcons, but I'm not going to do it because I'm going to outsmart myself and just go with the smart play. And then you picked the Falcons, and I said, to hell with it, I'm doing this, and picked the Falcons. It was plus eight, and they lost 43-3. to three. So, by my math, that did not quite add up. Yeah, and I do believe the Cowboys were probably the lock of the week. Yes, I think, particularly coming off that weird result at Denver the week, or against Denver the week before at home. Like, that just, that was not, I said it. I said, this is not happening two weeks in a row. I'm picking Dallas. Then once you hit the Falcons, I was like, you know what, screw it. I can't quit them yet. And then now I'm watching them just bleed me of cash as they lose on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, like I know what I'm talking about, you know. Yeah, for God's sake, they put up zero points and we're (laughs) over halfway through the third quarter. Anyway, I'm not bitter or anything. Um. We've got a big week, though. Skybox obviously does not roll with us in the NFL. They've got to sell those picks. But we got a big week of college games. And then, of course, we will get into all of the NFL games. So let's just dive right into it. We'll go all SEC, and then I sent Skybox a uh, nice little slate of outside the SEC games because we do have a couple of those SEC built-in November buys. Which is, I understand it. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but look, I get it. 
And so we do have a couple of those. Alabama had New Mexico State last week. And then, all right, let's see. Yeah, Kentucky's got New Mexico State this week. Yeah, just some diabolical scheduling by New Mexico State's athletic department. But I I say that. I know. Surely they got paid, right? Yeah, you're you're beating me to it there. I mean, like, I say that, but we all know why that is. Those checks are cashing. And, you know, uh, New Mexico State's one of the poorer athletic departments in the country. So they needed every bit of it. All right, here we go. We've got the SEC games. We'll start with. Oh, now I can't get the thing to load. Uh, we should we pick Georgia Charleston Southern? No, that's good. We'll, well now I can't Georgia. find the line. What ESPN changed their score out? What the hell is this? Uh-oh, oh, no, there's up. no line on this one. Well, actually, we only have a couple SEC games, um, because we've got a couple of those bots. Let's start with good God, this is terrible. We'll go Alabama minus 20 and a half. Against Arkansas. Well, that's a juicy one to start with. Where are you going here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually going to be a pretty decent game. I mean, you know, um, Arkansas is playing pretty good. They won back-to-back games. They won a, a real big game last week, at, you know, on the road in Baton Rouge. Um, you know, I know that's not the same LSU team, but still, I, I, like, Al- uh, I, I like Alabama a lot, but I just think for some strange reason, Arkansas, you know, just plays them tough here. But uh, I just think uh, – in the long run, I think Alabama's just too bad, too good. I, I'm, I think they're the three touchdowns better, so I'm going to go with the Alabama Crimson Tide here. I actually like Arkansas here, and this is probably a dumb pick. I wrote this in Neil's picture today. It's like this doesn't feel like enough points, but I think I think Arkansas can can match up with Alabama on both lines of scrimmage. I think Arkansas's got a pretty good offensive line. And I think they've definitely got a good defensive front. Ole Miss saw the brunt of that, even though Ole Miss ran the ball over them. But Arkansas has got good defensive players. They have good linebackers. And that seems to be what Alabama's struggled with. And I say struggled with. That's a relative term. Tennessee had a decent uh, defensive front. The defensive line, I think, has been much better than anyone could have forecasted. They've got a couple of good linebackers. Tennessee has no depth. But if you remember that game, Tennessee was hanging around for two and a half quarters. I mean, I think that was a seven point game in the third quarter before it got completely out of the hand. That was actually one of the more brutal covers of the year. It was like Alabama minus 27 or 24 or something. And it was like a seven point game with a couple of minutes to go in the third quarter and Tennessee somehow didn't cover point being not to get off on a tangent when other teams have physical defensive fronts. And this was make the iron bowl interesting to me, even though I think Auburn secondary sucks, Alabama seems to not be the Alabama that we're used to. And so I think Arkansas can match up with them and I'll take the 20 and a half. I'm hoping it goes to 21 by the time you'd actually lock in a wager on this and you can actually get it, maybe buy it to 21 and a half, feel a little better about it, but I'll go Arkansas here. And if also, if it sounded like I was rambling just a second ago while I was trying to pull up the games, I think I, my words were decent to good SEC slate, but a couple of the November buys. This SEC slate actually sucks. I just hadn't put yeah. it all together. We have Georgia, <laughs> Charleston, Southern, A&M, Prairie View, A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee State, and Kentucky, New Mexico State. I knew all these games were happening because I wrote them in Neil's picks, or wrote, I had to pick them in Neil's picks, at least a couple of them. And I just I never put it all together. This is terrible. That I'm changing my opinion. This has to stop. What the hell? This is the second to last week of the season. This is the most anticlimactic bullshit of all time. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like, why? 
I don't know, man. I really wish they would work it out to where they would do like two non-conference, you know, really good matchups, you know, kind of like the kind of like the basketball deal where, you know, like where Marquette and Ole Miss just played kind of like a, you know, big, big 10 SEC showdown or something like that. You know, trying to do something like that instead of playing these Tennessee states and uh, whatever. Yeah, again, I get why they're doing it. And how with the way this is going this week, LSU's got ULM. That's another one just to add insult to injury. And then Ole Miss is actually quite fortunate they get Vanderbilt leading in the Egg Bowl because if they were having to play Auburn or some game where they were going to get, well, I mean, a physical game where you got to play for four quarters, Mississippi State on a short week would have a tremendous advantage heading into the Egg Bowl. But fortunately for Ole Miss, they're playing a Vanderbilt team that. I had, so at the beginning of this pod, I actually had a Vanderbilt guy on, which I was not going to, uh, Chris Lee, good guy, uh, enjoy talking to him, but I wasn't going to do it because just what is there to talk about, right? There's nothing to talk about this game, but I wanted to talk some big picture Vanderbilt athletic department stuff. I think the way they like quote, like they don't support football, but then kind of like pretended like they have is fascinating. And you, did you see they're, they're supposedly building a new stadium that actually looks quite nice. So I wanted to talk yeah. some big picture stuff with them. Have you seen the renderings? It actually looks really nice if it comes to fruition. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, it's almost like they've got to do something. I mean, you got to step up the program because, I mean, you know, you're in the SEC and you look like a – I mean, like you, you sent it's me Snapchats. You sent me Snapchats of some nicer-looking high school stadiums in Texas than, than Vanderbilt Stadium, you know. Oh, like, a thousand percent. Now, some it's, of the press boxes awkward. here are nicer than five and six SEC schools, Mississippi State included, and Ole Miss could get close. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, point point being, terrible week, and Ole Miss got lucky. But I bet – I noticed this last week. I bet half the time people listening to this dumb segment we do are like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Because I'm sure for the first eight minutes of this podcast and I was talking about how it's a decent SEC site, they're like, what are you – is this guy on drugs? Last week I was talking Tennessee, Georgia. Last week I was talking Tennessee, Georgia, and I misspoke when I was saying I think Tennessee could score enough points to cover this game, but I said when, and then I went about two minutes without actually getting back to the point where I was like, I think this is 42-17 Georgia covers, but it'll be like close on the cover. But I said win the game, so I'm sure there were a couple of people about drove off the road being like, what? what in the world is this dude talking about? But yeah, that's, uh, even my mom said something about that. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she said, what is this guy, what's this guy's problem? Like, of course, Tennessee's not winning this game, but I meant cover, cover the spread because good teams win, great teams cover. So anyway, we, we, it's a terrible SEC slate, but I guess we'll make the most of it. Oh my God, it's another one. Tennessee South Al. Jesus. We'll just go to the only other game that matters. We'll go, or two other games that matter. We'll go Auburn minus seven and a half on the road against South Carolina. No Bo Nix. Bo Nix broke his ankle. Hope that guy heals up soon. That's a really, really crappy break, uh, particularly in his junior season. Uh, So I imagine it'll be TJ Finley. South Carolina missed a real opportunity last week to get Bo eligible. I thought that Missouri team had quit. I can't tell you what happened in that game. I didn't watch a second of it, but South Carolina loses on a field goal. And now credit to Missouri, they might have an outside shot at seven wins. I don't necessarily think they get there, but they got a chance at it. Now this is kind of South Carolina's last shot because Clemson's not great and they get them in Columbia, but Clemson's not great because their offense sucks. Clemson's defense is good. And so, you know, seven points in that game for Clemson might be enough to win the game if you kind of get what I'm getting at. So this is Auburn's, excuse me, South Carolina's last shot. 
This is now at seven and a half from what I'm seeing. So if that is the case, and I've seen it at seven all for most of the week, seven and a half at some, um, I am going uh, South Carolina here. I think they get it done. I actually think they might win this game outright. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. Just real basic. I, I just like the home dog this week. Yeah, I just I, – look, I don't know. It's, just, it's almost wishful thinking. I like the Shane Beamer story. I think it's cool. Uh, I Like I mentioned last week, I don't think the whole, oh, my God, I'm surprised we've won any game shtick is going to last forever without kind of wearing out its welcome. But I just – I hope they get it done this week. I mean, but that that talent level, them getting six wins would be quite the remarkable accomplishment. So, anyway, I'm going South Carolina here. And then we'll catch us up on Skybox as I just got their picks. Let's see. Skybox went with Alabama, and Skybox is going – where are they on this one? I don't think they sent me a pick. Uh, uh, we don't have it for this one. So we're both on South Carolina. I'll get that from them on that. Anyway. All right, so we'll both go on that and then keep it rolling. Missouri, Florida. It is now Florida minus eight and a half. Florida going to Columbia. I want to make sure I had the line right. Dan Mulling gives up 52 points to Sanford last week. They were trailing 42 to 35 at halftime and had to outscore Sanford 40 to 10 in the second half to make it look somewhat respectable. Uh, This feels like a spot where – Florida is very undervalued, right? I'm pretty sure everyone was thinking like the dum-dums like us are thinking, oh, too many points. Florida's terrible. Why would I not take Missouri here? Uh, I think this spot where Florida's undervalued, so I'm actually going to go Florida minus the eight and a half. Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to semi-agree with you, but I mean, you know, like what is going on in Gainesville right now? I mean, you know, it's uh seems like there's uh, some um, – some, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a home dog kind of mood, so uh, I'm going to go with Missouri on this and uh, just uh, stick with the home uh, home dogs. Hopefully they treat me well this weekend. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Missouri's that running back, the Beatty kid's pretty good. I just think Missouri's defense is terrible, and I think if Dan Mullen has a competent bone in his body offensively, they'll find a way to win this game by 10. But, man, if they don't, that's brutal. Yeah. They were, like, celebrating in the locker room after the game, which rubbed some people the wrong way. I don't really get up in arms about celebrations. Those kids work their asses off. You win any sort of football game, I'm cool with you celebrating. I really don't care. Um, so, like, but, like, Dan Mullen, of course, was kind of his prickly self when asked about it and asked, like, what are you talking about? We beat a good football team. It's like, dude, come on. Let's, let's not insult people's intelligence. So, but I think they're undervalued in this spot. So, I'll take them there. Skybox is on Florida. Yeah, uh, so they are on Florida on this one as well. And then let's see, Just keeping it rolling here. We will go to South Alabama, Tennessee. This is Tennessee minus 28. So Tennessee minus 28 at home. Kane Womack got a pretty good thing going in his year one against uh, at South Alabama. Statistically, South Alabama has one of the better defenses in college football. They're not very good offensively. They come into this game five and five. I like Tennessee. I like what Heupel's done. I think this is a case of two coaches that have done great jobs in their first year. And uh, I am actually going to go South Alabama here, though, because I think their defense is good enough to kind of make this a little weird. I don't think the game will ever be in consequence, but 28 feels like a lot. And honestly, this is just a pick because I like Kane Womack. So I'm going South Carolina. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you on this. I like South Alabama here. Uh, just, you know, like like you were saying, uh, Kane Walmart's a good story. And, uh, you know, he's a good coach, too. And uh, I, I just like South Alabama here. I just think it's too many points. Skybox is on South Alabama as well. They were also on Auburn. That was the pick I couldn't find where I just went blank for about uh, it's five minutes there. We got that pick in from them. So, South Alabama plus 28 is what we're all three on there. Uh, we'll just – I can't do Ole Miss last this week because these other games are just going to be a drag. We'll go Ole Miss next. Ole Miss minus 36-and-a-half against Vanderbilt. Oh, I think, look, this is – I would never play this game. To me, this is staying away in a half. But I'm actually going to go Vanderbilt here because Ole Miss could win this game by 50 if it wanted to, right? But I think they know what's at stake next week. And given a short week and given how banged up the offense has been, if Ole Miss goes up like 35 nothing, or hell, let's just say they're covering at halftime. If they're up like 38 nothing at halftime, which honestly, even if it gets a bad team like Vanderbilt, that's a pretty pretty flawless half of football to go up 38 nothing against any opponent. But if they're in the round the 30 mark at halftime, I, I just don't see Lane Kiffin like leaving guys in the game very long. I think they know what's at stake next week, and I think they know they need to rest some guys. So I just don't see them covering the 36 and a half. If they did, it wouldn't stun me. But if you like put a gun to my head and made me play this game, I'm playing Vanderbilt. But that, again, 36 point line, I think most people can deduct what I'm getting at. I don't, I, no means is it, is it, uh, I don't love Ole Miss this week. That's just a ton of points for a team that I'm not sure is going to leave anyone of consequence in the game for very long. Yeah. I mean, but like, can Ole Miss's defense actually put up a shutout against Vanderbilt, regardless of how bad? They are, you know. I think Ole Miss's uh, defense can. I'll answer that for you. I'm not sure they will. I think they absolutely can. Vanderbilt has been horrid offensively. Well, that's well, that's fine. But I'm just saying, you need to rest some people on defense. You know, uh, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it just that defense has played really well the last couple uh, weeks. And uh, you know, whenever Sam Williams and Chase Campbell are not on the field, uh, I'm I'm scared to know what that Ole Miss defense would do. I see what you're getting at now. You're talking about the reserves. Can they pitch a sun out? Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that, so we were saying two different versions of the same thing there. No, I know what you're talking about. Cause it's what, it's what happened against Kentucky last week. Kentucky got up like 31, nothing or 34, three or something like that. Right. And that game ended 34 to 17. So like, you know, if you took Kentucky minus 21 and a half, you rip up your ticket, but that game was never like remotely in consequence. Um, Skybox is on Vanderbilt too. So, yeah. I don't know what that says. I mean, they're the experts, but I, I mean, find me someone that I say, find me someone. I wonder how many people are taking Ole Miss this week. I'm going to actually look that up tomorrow. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's a game where it, it matters for Ole Miss, right? I mean, you get up 30 points and just get the hell out of there and try to stay as healthy as possible. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, the- like you were saying, the bigger picture, I mean, you know, the, 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 there's just a, too big of a picture going on um, to not look at it and just, you know, you know, say that, you know, they're a solid win away from, uh, you know, playing in the Sugar Bowl. Right. I mean, look, you win this game, you got a chance to be the to have the first 10-win regular season in program history. My number one goal, and I'm not in Lane Kiffin's head, but I would think like, hey, let's run the shit out of the ball. Let's put up 30 points in the <coughs> – good God, I can't talk today. I just swallowed water down the wrong pipe. This, I'm just playing hurt on this podcast. Um, run the ball. Put up 30-something in the first half and get the hell out of there. Because, honestly, I know they're going in the portal for a quarterback, but, like, 
kind of like to see what Luke Altmyer's got in some extended action, see what you got in some other places as well. So I just, I don't see it. So anyway, I, we've belabored the point enough about this ridiculous football game. Let's see if there's anyone we can possibly pick. Okay. Kentucky, uh, New Mexico state has a line. Kentucky is minus 36. Yeah. 36. <laughs> these, yeah. these, uh, these, these, some of these games crack me up. Kentucky's a 36 <laughs> point favorite, but the over under on the game is 60. So, yeah. I don't think uh, people are too high on New Mexico State's chances of scoring a more than a couple of points. And look, it makes sense. Um, I will go New Mexico State here. Yeah, fighting Eli Johnson's. Why the hell not? Seems like a good kid. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll, is he the head coach? No, 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 no. We're talking David Johnson's son. He was a center at Ole Missy yeah. grad transfer. Um, oh, he's a, oh, he's, he's he's a center it. out there. Oh, okay, okay, uh, uh, nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's go with it. I mean, you know, they had a tough week against Alabama and survived, and uh, uh, maybe the maybe they'll get a a good cover this week uh, in in Lexington. By the way, Lexington's very beautiful. <laughs> you are you gonna move, retire to Lexington? I mean, I literally would love to do that. I told my mom last night. I was like, Mom, I was like, I want to have a lot of green grass and a lot of. Uh, horses and cows to take care of. She goes, she goes, you're weird. So I've been called a lot worse. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's fun. It's not, I mean, I'm just a, you know, a peaceful kind of person, you know, I mean, you know, I like, I, I like, I like the horses and, you know, I, and I like the library probably two times a week, you know, I mean, it's just very basic. No, I, I don't think that's weird. That sounds like an incredible lifestyle. I just think your mom's just a deadpan retort. You're weird, son. Uh, yeah, I will good. say that it was uh, uh, this weekend we had one channel on the on the horses and like literally I had like a, a group of like 20 guys betting on the races. It was kind of fun. This so we, we've got to get around the SEC here. I'm going to make sure some of these lines do not seem right. I, I went off ESPN on this one. I'm going to go back to this normal side I use because this couple of these don't make any sense to me. First one we're going outside of the SEC is Iowa State and Oklahoma. This game is interesting because Iowa State's kind of screwed with Oklahoma in the past. I think they actually had a big win a couple of years ago that kind of put uh, Matt Campbell on the map at OU, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. This game is now Oklahoma minus three and a half. Um, I don't know what it was at the beginning of the week, but it felt larger than that. I don't understand Iowa State. I thought they were a good team that had some poor fortune earlier in the year and then kind of like righted the ship a bit. But then last week happens, they go lose at a Texas Tech team without a head coach in Lubbock. And it's like, hey, what, what, what's going on here? Like, what, what are we doing? So I'm going to use my one college lock here on Oklahoma. And I don't even love Oklahoma. I just, I don't get Iowa State. I don't want to trust them on the road. I guess it wouldn't stun me if they won this game, but Oklahoma seems out of the college football playoff, and if they want to get back into it, they might need some style points. So I'm going to go OU. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I just think that, you know, the Iowa State, uh, you know, the, the uh, what's the coach at Iowa State? Matt Campbell, who's going to be in the, I, a lot of coaching rumors. Already is, but. Yeah, I, I think this is the year he needs to jump ship. I, I think, think you're dead on with that. I mean, you know, like I think this is probably going to be the year that for him to get his job. I think what would, would be a good job for him would be probably the Miami job would be a good job for him. Okay. So going from the uh, cornfields of Iowa down to South Beach. 
Yeah, I think that'd be a nice little move for him. I mean, and it'd be a nice little financial move too. But I think that uh, you know there, there there's some some rumors going on, and I, I, I'm going to go with Oklahoma here. I just think they've just got too much talent across the board. Trading uh, corn for cocaine. Yeah, oh, man, that sounds like that sounds like a party. Yeah, and I imagine the female situation is a little bit different from Iowa to, to Miami too, for sure. Are you saying the chicks on South Beach might just be a slightly different in terms of just, you know, personality, whatever, uh, than yeah. Ames, Iowa? Is that, yeah, is that what you're getting sure. at? Eating, eat, eating habits, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Washington might be an interesting job for him. I wonder, you know, Washington's one of the couple of programs out west where you actually got some resources, people that care. Uh, like a guy like that that kind of did what he did at Ohio State, I wonder if he could kind of dominate the Pac-12. Um, my God, the Falcons are a joke. Uh, anyway, this, I'm just watching this live. All right, so we're on OU. Skybox is on. Let's see. Where Didn't we? we say something about like never betting on the Falcons like two years ago when we started this podcast? Yeah, and guess who hasn't followed that? Me, neither, yeah. nor you. Uh, Skybox yeah. is on OU as well. So we're all three on Oklahoma across the board. I think I may have missed Skyboxes on New Mexico State. They're on New Mexico State as well. Just wanted to make sure I got that in there. We're going to go to, I guess, what is the marquee game of the night? It's Michigan State, Ohio State. It is in the horseshoe, so it's in Columbus. It is Ohio State minus 19 and a half. This feels like a trap line, but I'm not going to overcomplicate this. Uh, I just think this is too many points. Maybe I'm wrong. I said the same thing against when it was Ohio State-Purdue last week, and Ohio State dropped 59 points and won by 28. So I was close-ish. I think there was a late touchdown there. Uh, I think Michigan State's defense is better, so I'm actually going to go Michigan State here. I think this is uh, too many points. Yeah, I think I'm going to do this as my lock. I'm going to do Michigan State as my lock. I I I like this. I just think that, you know, uh, Mel Tucker's done a really good job at Michigan State, and uh, he's probably going to get a raise and an upgrade and, you know, coaching somewhere else here pretty soon. So, um, or he might like Mich- uh, Lansing, Michigan. I don't know. Um, with that being said, I think uh, this is a lot too many points. And I think that Michigan State's going to, uh, you know, hold this game together. I mean, this is number seven versus number four. How is this a 20 point, you know, uh, difference? I think that's exactly what Vegas wants you to think. But, you know, we're both on the train, and you else is on the train? Skybox Sports Picks. They are all over Michigan State here. So that makes me feel a little bit better, like we might halfway know what we are doing. Let's see. we got a couple more to get to. We're going to wake Clemson for the next one. It is wake plus four and a half at Clemson, another one that feels like a trap. I actually kind of like wake here because – Clemson can't score points, and I think Wake's defense is good. Or excuse me, I, Clemson can't score points. I think their defense is good, but Wake's offense is really good. Like, even against a really good defense, I think Wake could put up 25 to 28 points, and I'm not sure Clemson's offense can do that. So I actually like Wake to win this game outright. I'll take the plus four and a half, but um, I'm not really – like in most years, I'd be like, ah, oh, this is a trap. Clemson will find a way to win this game. I'm not buying it this year. I think Wake's offense is too explosive from what I've seen this year. They're a lot of fun to watch. I'm not sure how good they are, but I think their offense is way too good uh, to be spotted points against this Clemson offense. So I'm going to Wake. Yeah, I'm going to have to just straight up agree and just, you know, uh, across the board on everything. I, I like Wake a lot. I mean, you know, I just think, think Clemson's just overrated and uh, just – 
you know, they lost, you know, um, Trevor Lawrence and ETN, which, you know, those are two hard guys to replace. But, you know, whenever you're a, a high-end program and you're competing for national championships and you're getting talent, like, you should be able to replace that, you know, with ease. But I guess it hasn't worked out too well for Clemson. But I like Wake Forest, and I think they're going to win the game. Skybox is on Wake as well. So there we go. We're agreeing with Skybox this week, which I think is probably pretty good because we disagreed with them last week. And it I guess it worked out better for you. It did not work out well for me at all. Next one we're going to go to is the G5 matchup of the year. And, uh, you know, the, the G5 matchups that have kind of warranted primetime action have kind of come over the last couple of years it's been some sort of mix between UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, and SMU. And you've got two of the four teams here. Cincinnati goes to SMU, so playing in my backyard this week. It is Cincinnati minus 12. Cincinnati hasn't looked good in really about a month. Um, haven't covered a spread in quite a while. SMU, I think, is pretty good, but I think they're just a pretty good G5. Like, they're a good American team, where I think Cincinnati's kind of an all-time American team if that makes any sense at all. It's Cincinnati minus 12 on the road. I got to tell you, maybe I'm a homer. I'm going to go SMU. I think Cincinnati could struggle a little bit. I think they'll win the football game, but they haven't covered a spread and they haven't looked good in a while. Maybe this is a sort of a statement game. I doubt it though. So I am actually going to go Cincinnati here, or excuse me, uh, SMU here plus the 12. Yeah. And I'm just going to agree with you uh, also. I I think that this is just a uh, kind of a semi-trap game. I mean, we'll see how good, Cincinnati is, I mean, you know, to even question, you know, Cincinnati in the top four is just kind of, you know, uh, this nonsense talk, I think. That's just me. If they run the table, I think they should get in. Nothing nothing against Cincinnati, but, like, I mean, you know, uh, they're just – they're not on Ohio State level. They're not – I mean, I don't know. They played Ohio State last year, didn't they? Oh, uh, that was, I think, two years ago. I could be wrong. Their only loss last year was Georgia by two in a bowl game. I think they played Ohio oh, State okay. two years ago. But so I'm normally with you. I think there's a drop off. I don't really, I'm probably more sympathetic than most towards the G5 schools, like particularly, it's really just the American Conference and maybe a, a program or two out West. Like I'm probably more sympathetic than most. But I'm not like the whole like give them a chance most of the time. But I don't know if since like Cincinnati runs the table in this weird year in college football, I don't know what else they need to have to do. Like you're gonna have to come up with a different system. So I, and you have the one the four seed gets blown out by the one seed 75 percent of the time anyway. So why not give Cincinnati a shot? It, particularly in a year where it doesn't seem like there's a worthy candidate above them. But hell, I, don't I mean, know. you give Notre Dame shots all the time. I mean, good lord. I mean, you know. And to be fair to Cincinnati, they won at Notre Dame on the road. Yeah. I mean, so, I don't know. I like it. We'll see. I, so, I just think I think it's a trap game. I think, you know, it's a field goal or a touchdown game. So, I'm going to go agree with you. I like SMU. Skybox is on SMU as well. There we have it. Um, Let's see. Last one, we got Texas at West Virginia is the last one we're going to pick in the college ranks. And that game, I believe, is right around two. But I can't get this thing to load on. Let's try this again. Yeah, I think it's two and a half or or four somewhat, maybe. It is. Of course, this thing won't pull up for me as soon as we need it to. 
did I Skybox is on SMU? I don't know if I mentioned that already. So uh, we're in agreement with the nerds a lot this week. I don't know if I love that or hate that. It is now West Virginia minus three. So that has actually moved basically a point. Um, so Skybox, uh, well, actually, we'll start with us. So I don't trust Tech. I think Texas is a better team, but I'm not trusting them on the road. I just I can't do it. Um, particularly after the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to go West Virginia minus the three here. I think like, Texas will probably play better for like two and a half quarters, but they're going to have some sort of backbreaking turnover or do something incredibly dumb to kind of <laughs> crap on their well, chances. I'm, like afraid. So I'm actually going to go West Virginia minus the three here just because I can't trust them. Yeah. I mean, I like West Virginia here just because Texas just lost to Kansas as a 30, 30. That's probably good enough evidence. 31 point favor, I think, or something like that. Something ridiculous. It was 30 points, but long story short, I think, I don't know if you've seen the Applebee's commercial where the guy that caught the two point conversion, like he literally shot an Applebee's commercial like the next day uh, uh, in in Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, it's like, you know, it's the two for 22 menu. I saw that. It was a yeah, walk-on like, that it played, like, two offensive snaps the, like, entire year, which made it even better. Yeah, and he's like, you always go for two or something like that. So, we're on West Virginia here. Skybox is on Texas. So, there we go. All is right in the world. We disagree with Skybox on the last one. Skybox, college free plays are Florida eight and a half. So, they already gave you that one. OU Iowa State over 61. So, the Skybox free plays are given out to the Rippy Rights listeners this week. Florida minus eight and a half, Oklahoma, Iowa State, over 61. Now it is time to transition, as the great Mike Francesa says, to the league where they play for pay. And we are going to start in the early slate with the disgusting game. Cleveland Browns hosting the Detroit Lions minus 11. Uh, Cleveland goes and gets kind of shit-pumped at Foxborough last week. And then the – the Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell's first non-loss in the NFL is a tie. They tied 16 to 16 in what was – so I'll give you the full context on this. Not that you were expecting full context on uh, Steelers' lines last week. MC and I flew in 7.30 in the morning. We're back at our apartment getting out of DFW, which is a hassle in its own right, at – 10 o'clock in the morning. So we still have two hours before the early NFL game start. And we've already had a day. We've already gone from Mississippi to Texas. So um, we start watching this game. I'm not really paying attention. It's on red zone. All of a sudden it's lasting like 45 minutes in the late games. That's the dumbest professional football game I've ever seen. That overtime is one of the stupidest things I have ever seen. Did you watch this game? No, I didn't. Well, I mean, I, 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 for some strange reason, they uh, you can get uh, the red zone uh, stream and live on YouTube, uh, and so I, I I do the red zone now on YouTube. But uh, there wasn't much action on it though. It was towards the end. It was one of the dumber games I've ever seen. I mean, it started raining. There, it, it was one of those games where it got to the point where I was like, honestly, if you win the coin toss in overtime, I might pick defense first because I think your defense would have a better chance of scoring and the offense couldn't screw you. It was terrible. It is Cleveland minus 11. I don't know what to make of this. Baker Mayfield seems really hurt, but if they put Case Keenum in, it might actually be beneficial for them. Um, I think Cleveland gets right this week, and I, I don't know. Jared Goff is not 100%. He's not good when he's 100%, so I'll go Cleveland minus the 11. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just hard to hard to bet on the Lions uh, just because they're so bad. But with that being said, uh, 
Yeah, I'm just going to go with Cleveland and hopefully uh, they bench Baker and put in uh, put in the steady Eddie in there. Next one we got Jacksonville Jaguars coming off a somewhat competitive loss to the Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts last week hosting the San Francisco 49ers. I think the travel rule, as much as you love it, has been declared pretty much defunct. Yeah. Niners won a game on Monday Night Football that was kind of their kitchen sink game. They couldn't go 0-4 at home. They couldn't go 0-whatever it was they were against the division. They had to win that game, and they kind of punked the L.A. Rams, screwed my fantasy team, which no one cares about. But the Rams now it's kind of one of, it's one of those games where it's like, all right, we think the Rams are good. Then they get kind of killed in that game, and it's like, oh, the Rams have beaten one team with a winning record, so are they actually good? I think the Niners are okay, but to me, the Niners do so much dumb stuff. I, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to take Jacksonville plus six at home here. This feels like a game where you turn it on and red zone hasn't really flipped to it much, and it's like 10 nothing Jacksonville in the third quarter, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Why is this happening? So I'm going to go Jacksonville plus the six pretty much in the absence of all logic. Yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna have to agree with you a little bit on it. I mean, you know, it's uh, the you know the West Coast coming over the East Coast. It is a travel rule, and uh, golly, it, 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 I think the under is the play, like you were saying. Like the Red Zone Channel would probably show one or two plays of this game, and uh, it would be good to have the points. So I'm gonna go with Jacksonville and take the points. That's a terrible, terrible sign that both of us are on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Playoff rematch from this past year, Buffalo Bills, Indianapolis Colts in Buffalo. It is Buffalo minus seven. This feels like a game where I would say, hmm, Indy five and five. They're actually pretty good. And I, this is, is this a signature moment for the Indianapolis Colts? But this to me reeks of a five, six point game somewhere that late in the fourth quarter. And Carson Wentz does that dumb thing where he gets sacked, and instead of just taking the sack, he tries to throw one off his knees, pick six. The Bills' defense is too opportunistic to face some dumb someone as dumb as Carson Wentz plays at times. So I'm going with the Bills minus seven here, and I want to lock it, but I'm going to hold off just because I do think Indy's a pretty good team. I just think Wentz has two backbreaking turnovers that turns what probably should be like a three-point game into a 14-point game. Well, I'm going to go with Indianapolis here. I, okay. I, uh, I mean, I like how that their defense is playing pretty good. Um, you know, Carson Wentz does uh, have a couple bonehead moves, but hopefully he only does one that doesn't hurt it hurt the team really bad. But uh, I just think this is a field goal game. I think uh, somebody's going to kick the field goal to win the game, and uh, I think it's just good to have uh, seven points here. And, you know, kind of Buffalo's kind of been uh, shaky the last couple of couple of weeks you know that loss to Jacksonville uh, you know is kind of just plain right awkward honestly but with that being said I just uh, I think this is a field goal game and I'm just going to take the points here okay fair enough I don't hate that one at all next one we got in the one o'clock window is the New York Jets hosting the Miami Dolphins it is New York plus three and a half at home Joe Flacco is starting for the New York Jets this week Mike White had his moment Looked okay against the Colts the next week. It had his moment against the Bengals. Looked okay against the Colts the next week. Got hurt. Tried to come back through four picks last week. 
and pretty much just cratered his value. I think is like the sexy backup quarterback. Uh, I think for that, he could have made a career for half a decade, but uh, it is plus three and a half. This game is interesting. And I'll tell you why it's interesting. The Miami Dolphins started one and seven. They won their first game at New England somehow and lost their next six. They beat Houston at home. They beat upset Baltimore on a Thursday night football game at home. Now they get New York. They get Carolina at home. They get the Giants again, a bye week, and the Jets. If they get by Carolina and don't completely shit the bed against the Giants at home, that would leave the week after Christmas the Miami Dolphins at 7-7. Seven and seven. How about that? With the healthy Tua in a watered-down AFC. Just something to yeah, keep an I'm, eye on. Yeah, I, I like the Dolphins a lot this week. I'm going to lock them up, honestly. Uh, I just uh, – I, I just – you know, like you said, that little stretch of games right there, if they can get a win here and uh, play a good game against Carolina, you know, they're so telling with the, with the conference the way it is. You know, obviously, uh, New England's going to win tonight. But um, just with that being said, you know, that just com- conference is up in the air. And, uh, you know, 7-7 seven and seven might be able to get there. I think it'll get him a while. I think it'll get him in the mix for a wild card spot. Now, they'll have to earn it after that. They go at New Orleans, at Tennessee, home New England to end the season so they'll earn it but they'll have a shot i think so that i don't know that's just fascinating the way the nfl works out of one in 17 could very well be in the mix for a playoff spot after christmas um i'm not going to lock it i'll hold off but i love the dolphins here in this spot as well keeping it moving we have the washington football team going to the carolina panthers it is carolina minus three and a half Carolina did this. I wasn't paying close enough attention to this game last week but carolina did this weird thing where they had pj walker out because uh, Sam Darnold was hurt. They had PJ Walker until they got in the red zone. They started using Cam Newton. I actually picked up Cam Newton as a fantasy quarterback this week. I don't know how that's going to work out for me, but there's a chance that he starts. It is Carolina minus three and a half. Uh, I actually like the football team here. I know they lost Chase Young, but they beat uh, Tampa last week. Taylor Heineke, Carolina defense. I don't hate that matchup. So I'm actually going to go to the Washington football team plus three and a half here. Yeah, I like the Washington football team, too. I mean, are, are they going to be just called the Washington football team for, for forever? So, last week, we were talking about whether they should take a nickname. I like it. Yeah. I don't think they I should mean, take I, a there's nickname. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm not, I, mean I was just, you know, kind of curious. I think they should just go ahead and lock this in and just call themselves the football team. I'm fully on board with that. I've heard rumors or I read something. Weren't they going to go with, like, the generals or something? That may be out there. I could be wrong about that. But uh, I like the football team, but uh, they, I don't know if they, I mean, I say that, so I love them being the football team. That means they'll probably rebrand to like something stupid after this year, but I think I like yeah, them in I this mean, uh, Yeah, I like, I, I like them uh, also. I, I think uh, Cleveland, instead of the, uh, the baseball team, they should have been called the Cleveland baseball team instead of the Guardians. Yeah, that would have been sick because I don't even know what a Guardian is. I think that sounds dumb. Yeah, I think it's like an adventure thing. Okay, well, good for them. We're yeah. going. I, I like the I like the uh, football team, and I actually would kind of like to lock it because I haven't been using my locks lately. There we go. You're aggressive on the locks this week. I like that. I've actually uh, been conservative. I'm, I'm keeping them in the holster. New Orleans, Philly. 
I might have been wrong about Philadelphia. They might actually be kind of good. That I don't think – so I, I locked Denver last week at home. That was like a two-point line, and Philadelphia kind of stopped them. I think Denver stinks. Um, but Philly's playing better. They're getting a little healthier on defense. I'm not sure what I think of Jalen Hurts, but, man, this is this feels like a – not a kitchen sink game because the Saints aren't out of it in the NFC if they lose this game. But, man, if you can't go on the road, and I know it's a backup quarterback situation, but if you can't go on the road and beat Philly, like, what are you playing for the rest of the year type of deal is kind of the feel I have for this. It is Philly minus two, and I actually like your New Orleans Saints here. I think they get it done. I think that defense is too good. I think they'll force Hurts into a couple of turnovers. And Simeon hasn't been terrible. And honest to God, they might should have beat the Titans last week had not for a complete horse shit roughing the passer call that led to a Titans touchdown. Um, so I actually like your New Orleans Saints here. Yeah, I mean, I like the Saints here too. Um, you know, uh, Philly, you just don't know what you're getting with Philly. They've just been so inconsistent, you know, week in and week out. So, um, you know, I, I just like New Orleans. I think they'll run the ball and they'll just try to keep it as basic as possible. And, you know, whenever Mark Ingram's uh, se- uh, second game back, so uh, you'll see him in the mix. And uh, I think they'll just run the ball and uh, – you know, just trying to grind one out and, uh, you know, kick a field goal and, and for the cover at, with, at the end. Yeah, I mean, you basically just need them to win the game here is all you need. So, I, I'm going to take New Orleans minus the two. Uh, next one, we actually go from your team to my team. We have the Tennessee Titans and the new uh, Houston Texans, excuse me, Titans hosting the Texans at home. I don't love that. I mean, look, the Titans, I think, will win this game. I don't love them covering the 10, but I'm just not taking the Texans. They, the, the Texans, like, it's not like they've quit when they come out, but they get, like, a half into the game, and if they're down by, like, seven points or more, they're like, hey, to hell with this. Like, we're like it's like someone who goes into the locker room and reminds them at halftime, hey, we're taking here, boys, so, like, it's all good. So, I'll go the Titans minus 10, even though I don't love this at all. This is a stay away and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think surely the Titans are uh, two two touch team, uh, two touchdown team better than the uh, the Houston. Uh, yeah, let's let's go with the, the the Titans. I think this is a good play here. Uh, we got a couple more one o'clock games, or maybe just one more. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. Interesting game here. So I don't like to pat myself on the back because I get so many of these games wrong. Last week, so we got Vikings Packers. It's in Minnesota. I don't get many things right. Last week, Vikings were at L.A. Chargers coming off a loss where they blew a lead against the Baltimore Ravens. And I said, I don't love that. I said, this doesn't make a ton of sense, but I'm going to lock Minnesota money line. I think they were plus three. This feels like a game Kirk Cousins always wins. And guess what they did? They went out there and they beat the Chargers. So I got that one right, if nothing else. That was one of my bigger locks of the week. Um, it is Minnesota plus one and a half at home against the Green Bay Packers. This is – ooh, I don't have any feel for this. This feels too good to be true. I just can't take Kirk Cousins against Aaron Rodgers, so I think I'm going to go Packers here because uh, Kirk Cousins against a good defense, just something feels wrong. So I'm going Green Bay minus the one and a half. I'm going to use my first lock on this, actually. Yeah, I'm just going to have to agree with you. I like Green Bay, too. I just like uh... – I mean, that was a really solid pick last week with Minnesota uh, going to 
the the Chargers and winning. And uh, this is what know, they t- do, though, right? They have a huge yeah. win, and yeah. they'll come out and throw a dud this week. This is the Vikings' yeah. experience. I, I mean, I, it'll definitely be fourteen to nothing after the first quarter for sure. So I, I like the Packers here for sure. Two teams that absolutely need a win is the Las Vegas Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals are coming off of a bye. This game has really, really high potential to get just completely stupid. This is in Las Vegas. It is the Raiders plus one at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. Raiders threw a dud last week that really hurt their division, not hurt their division chances, really put a dent in a, their chances later in the year, I would say, to win the division. They lose at home against the uh, struggling Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, is that as weird as that seems to or sounds to say. I don't know what to make of the Raiders. I thought they were pretty good, but then they've lost back-to-back weeks against the Giants and a struggling Chiefs team at home. I don't know what to make of the Bengals either because the Bengals have lost to the Jets. They went back home and lost to the Bengals with an injured Baker Mayfield and have had a bye week. This is a disgusting game against two teams turning in the wrong direction. This is like, I'm like partial to both of them from a gambling perspective where I always feel like I'm on both of these teams. I guess I'll go the Raiders. I, I, I think they have the slightly better quarterback right now, even though I like Joe Burrow. I'll go Raiders plus one. It's plus one at home. I'll take, I'll take Las Vegas here. I don't love it, but I'll take it. No, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to go with the with the uh, with the Bungles here. I I, I just you know um, they had a big win against Baltimore, and then they just you know kind of literally laid two you know terrible eggs. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's some reality check going on in that locker room. So um, you know, and of course you know Las Vegas has had a really good year, and they've uh, kind of melted down also. So. Uh, we'll just call this the meltdown game. Like, who can not melt down the most? Um, I think so. that's actually a great way to dub it because that feels like exactly what might happen. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna see if I can't go with the Bungles and see if I can't get uh, Joe Burrow. See if I can't get a win with him. I honestly like that we're on the opposite sides of that one because, like, if you, I mean, I'll change my mind 15 times before that game starts, and like, I have no feel for that. I'll probably, honestly, end up rooting for the Bengals because I kind of like them better than I do the Raiders. But that really does feel like a game where it's like, who is not going to melt down the most and just make this completely miserable? Because that feels like a game where if you lose that one, particularly if it's the Bengals on the road, like that feels like a deflating one that could affect the next two weeks, and then it's just like I. You're like, where did the season go wrong? It went wrong in Las Vegas. A lot of things can go wrong in Las Vegas. Anyway, <laughs> keeping it moving to the late win- uh, end of the late window. Cardinals Seahawks. Uh, Russell Wilson back. Uh, first shutout of his career. He comes back last week and did not look healthy at all. Maybe he just wasn't good. Uh, supposedly he was healthy enough to play. They get shut out against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they're back at home this week. They're plus two against the Arizona Cardinals. I think Kyler Murray is going to play. This feels like a game that Seattle has to win if they have any sort of prayer of remaining in this season. And honestly, I'm going to go the other way. Um, You know, the teams in the kitchen sink game where they have to win, it seemed kind of dangerous. But I'm actually going to go the other way because I think – I thought the early suspect of like the year from hell team where they just have too many injuries and nothing makes sense would be the Ravens. But to the Ravens' credit, they've kind of held it together. I think it's the Seahawks because I think Russell Wilson will probably move on from the Seahawks after this year, and I'm just not a believer because their defense still isn't very good. 
They're still very predictable offensively. I'm going to lock the Cardinals here as my second lock, minus two on the road. Yeah, I would think if, you know, Murray is playing, you know, the Cardinals would be pretty a good play here. But, um, you know, I, 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 I like Seattle at home for some strange reason. Uh, they're just a different team when they play at home. And, uh, I, you know, it's a division game, like you were saying. It's a big game, kind of an all or nothing for Seattle on, you know, and Russell Wilson and, you know, who knows what will, is going to happen if uh, if Seattle lays an egg here. And, uh, um, you, you know, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, try and uh, take Seattle here and see if they, uh, you know, just play play good at home. I don't hate that one at all. Like, it's kind of a last stand game. Feels very, very 49ers-ish on that last Monday night that we just watched. Marquee game of the afternoon, and to me, clearly the weekend. Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Dallas Cowboys Kansas City at home minus two last week it looked like Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes again it looked like the Chiefs got some things right but let me tell you I'm not buying it yet I'd like to see it two weeks in a row I'm going to lock third lock here Dallas Cowboys I think they win the game outright I think Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders maybe that's just the tap water here in Texas polluting my brain um, I'm not one of like the Cowboys haters per se, like some people love to do. I'm pretty indifferent on them. But man, when you look at it, they have every piece you need to win a Super Bowl. They have a playmaker on the back end. They've got a good enough pass rush. They got a good quarterback. They have probably the best receiving core in the NFL, and they've got two good running backs. I don't know what else you need. Um, I actually think the Cowboys are going to kick their ass. So I am locking the Cowboys here, uh, money line. Man. You, you, you made me think about wanting to bet on the Cowboys, uh, but I, I just I, – I can't do it. I, I, I like Kansas City here. I think uh, they're another different team at home, and uh, they play play good, and they got back on track last week. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean, it's not like um, the, the system's broken. But um, I, I just – you know, I'm just going to go with Kansas City at home. I mean, I, I, I think you're spot on with uh, – you know, the Cowboys having all the pieces of the puzzle to, you know, be a Super Bowl contender. But, uh, you know, it's still the regular season. And whenever it gets playoff time, you know, it kind of changes the ch- changes a little bit there. So uh, I'm going to go with Kansas City, n- uh, knock Dallas off their pedestal. Well, you're right, too. And, like, if look, if Kansas City's actually back, I think Patrick Mahomes is perfectly fine in terms of, like, him. Like, I didn't think it was ever a Patrick Mahomes thing. I thought it was more the dysfunction around him, and that's the first time he's had dysfunction around him since Texas Tech when you saw, like, oh, this kid's got great arm talent, but why the hell were they five and seven, that type of thing. So I don't think you're wrong in that sense. And, like, I guess I never thought it was a Mahomes issue, one. And, two, if the Chiefs are actually, like, back-back, then you win this game, right? Like this would be the one where you kind of declare, hey, we're fine. We'll probably end up winning this division. So I could see that one as well. I don't hate that pick. I just, I really think the Cowboys are really, really good. Sunday night football. We've got the LA Chargers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. This line on this site has gone offline. I don't know what funny business is going on there. I assume Big Ben cleared concussion, not concussion, COVID protocols. I'm just a guess. Um, I read that earlier in the week. He was vaccinated, which might have been a surprise in its own right. Uh, let's see. I want to make sure I have this right, though, because it's not on the normal side. Uh, six, six and a half. Toward who? Pittsburgh plus six and a half. Against the Chargers? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're exactly you know? right. 
Uh, it opened. It actually opened at three and a half. Oh man, they're gonna make me take Pittsburgh. I don't want yeah, I to, can, but I, Pittsburgh's defense is good, and Herbert does some like that offense does some dumb stuff. I'm taking Pittsburgh here. I'll use my fourth lock. Why the hell not? Which I don't even like Pittsburgh. Like I don't. I, I say Pittsburgh. I don't like their team. I don't think Pitt, the Steelers are very good. Yeah, I would think a field goal is definitely, you know, going to win this game. Uh, so, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go Pittsburgh with you, too, on this. Take the points. Monday night football, the Tampa Bay Bucks hosting the Danny Dimes New York football Giants. I believe Dan Dimes and the Giants are coming off a bye week. It's plus 10 and a half. I've fallen in this trap so many times where a team goes down to Tampa and they're double digits. They're not very good. But you're like, yeah, decent-ish quarterback. Like, that's too many points. I think I'm going to fall into it again. I don't like the way what I've seen from Tampa Bay the last couple weeks, and they're not even that injured anymore. They just kind of stink defensively. And man, when you put a little bit of pressure on Brady, like it's it it that offense becomes kind of predictable. I say predictable in some ways. When you make Brady move around the pocket just a little bit, he seems susceptible. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to go Danny Dimes of the Giants plus ten and a half. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, too. I, I mean, for some strange reason, I just think that, uh, you know, Tampa Bay isn't invincible. And, uh, you know, they haven't covered, I think, at all this year, maybe. I don't think they've covered a lot. But um, I, I'm going to take – I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a underdog kind of mood, so uh, why not take it on Monday night and roll with the underdog? That is week 12 in the National Football League. It – flies by as we say or does that even week 12 did i just say that wrong yeah i did no i think it's week 12 it is week yeah it's a week 11 in the nfl week 12 in college football damn it i knew i was gonna do that wrong all right week 11 in the nfl point being it flies by we're already over halfway through the season um but hey we got the extra week so we still got six seven more weeks of this stuff we will uh, talk to you again next week, my friend, and uh, hopefully we uh, hit some winners this weekend. Yeah, as always, it's always a pleasure doing this. All right, that's our show. I appreciate you sticking around to the end. You get a reward if you do, because on that part of the podcast, I forgot to give out Skybox's NFL picks. Gave them the college free plays. Their NFL free plays, Detroit, plus 12 and a half against Cleveland. So that's Detroit plus 12 and a half. And then the Tampa Bay, New York Giants, that's Monday night football over 49 and a half. Detroit plus 12 and a half on the road at Cleveland, Tampa Bay, New York Giants over 49 and a half. And that's in addition to the college free plays. That was Florida minus 8.5, Florida, Florida minus eight and a half. What am I talking like a nerd? And then the over under in Iowa State over, over under Iowa, Iowa State, Oklahoma. That's a lot of O's that he sent me. 61, over 61 in OU Iowa State. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll be back on Sunday. I think I'm going to have Weldon and Bracken on, talk some basketball, talk some football, get into some egg ball stuff, and uh, really looking forward to that. So appreciate you guys listening. It's a weird week for the podcast schedule. We uh, we'll probably won't be on a totally normal schedule next week. Well, I'll say that. We'll have Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Never mind. Scratch that. I don't know what I'm talking about. We'll have a normal schedule next week. Appreciate you guys listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do or do. You're all adults out there. I can't control you. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you on Sunday.